All right, Flames fans, just one more day to go without hockey, and then we finally get back into it. I know it's been a long stretch of three days in March to go without any Flames hockey, but we're close. The New York Islanders are back in town tomorrow. They got to the Saddle Dome today, and despite all the COVID-19 coronavirus, everything going on around the world, the Flames and the Islanders will play here at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome tomorrow, and we can finally get back to talking some Flames hockey. We'll get you an update from Flames practice in just a second here. But first, welcome to the show, Pinder and Steinberg. I'm Logan Gordon filling in for Ryan Pinder this week. Pat Steinberg going to join the show a little bit earlier today, about 1.30. He's going to join the program. Uh, but first, uh, we'll get to you the news from the day here at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. And it was more of the same today from the Flames. The good news, bad news that continued yesterday uh, back for the Flames. The good news, Travis Hamannick continues to practice with the team in a full contact jersey. He was on a pairing again with TJ Brody. The bad news, no Noah Hannafin for the second straight practice. Uh, no update from Coach Jeff Ward. Uh, afterwards, they're playing it day by day with Noah, so still a chance that he gets into the lineup perhaps tomorrow, but I would say things looking more and more unlikely on that front. So, the D pairings, in case you missed them yesterday, were the same today without Hannafin. So let's go through those four uh, and assume that these are what we're going to see tomorrow. Travis Hamannick is medically cleared to go. He's going to be a game-time decision. Now, game-time decision, pretty good chance that he plays. But remember, not long ago, uh, the Flames were in Boston. Mark Giordano coming off an injury was a game-time decision. They gave him an extra game. We'll see if the Flames do that against the Islanders tomorrow. So your D pairings for the Flames today at practice were as follows. Captain Mark Giordano on a pairing with Rasmus Anderson, TJ Brody with the aforementioned Travis Hamannick, while Eric Gustafson and Derek Forbert were your third pairing, the extra pairing today, Oliver Shillington and Michael Stone. The forwards, they haven't changed much. The only change that we saw from the Flames' three-game winning streak to the Vegas game where they lost 5-3 on Sunday was Zach Ronaldo in the spot of Tobias Reader on the fourth line. That switched back again. We've seen Reader back at practice on that right side. So your forward lines, Goudreau, Monaghan, Lindholm, Manjapani between, or on the left side, excuse me, Backlund and Kachuk, Lucic, Dubé, and Ryan, Bennett, Jankowski, Reader. Things a little bit tighter in the Pacific Division right now uh, after Vancouver took on the Flames' newest or next opponent, excuse me, the New York Islanders last night. 5-4, the shootout victory for Vancouver. If it was just points percentage, Vancouver would be in because they have a game in hand on Calgary, but the Flames still one point up on Vancouver for third spot in the Pacific Division. The Flames opponent, the New York Islanders. Tomorrow, we'll hopefully get more with them uh, on a game day tomorrow. Don't know what the availability will be like as things like that are changing on the regular here at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. So there it is. That's your Calgary Flames update for today. We're going to shift our focus over to baseball. As you heard in the update from Riles, the Jays are currently clobbering the Baltimore Orioles. Riley, do you have a score on that one right now? Yeah, I believe it's still yeah 13-1 to in the top of the sixth. 13-1, top of the sixth. That's uh, not a close game. It's been no. a very good day for a number of Blue Jays. And as you've heard throughout the week, our own Ryan Pinder is in Dunedin, Florida. He's going to be covering the Jays for us this week, thanks to our friends at WestJet. And so far, it's just been chats with me and, and Pat so far. But yesterday, his first full day in Dunedin, and Ryan got a chance to catch up with a couple of important members of the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, we're going to hear from them next. 
We'll start with Anthony Alford. It's going to be interesting for Alford, who's twenty fifth, who's twenty five, is an outfielder, which isn't a great position to be on this Toronto Blue Jays team because if you're unaware, they have a lot of them, and Alford at twenty five. Uh, is running out of options to make this team. He's going to have to do it this spring or uh, maybe have to find a new home past this season with the Jays, who have lots of outfielders, lots of different options, and that's the first name that Ryan Pinder got to chatting with with Anthony Alford in Dunedin a little bit earlier on today. Beautiful Wednesday morning here in Dunedin at New TD Ballpark. We're chatting with Anthony Alford. Sir, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How about yourself? Uh, this is exciting. It's you know way better than being up in minus fifteen or something yeah, like that. But this yeah. is this is the usual for you. This is the rhythm. This is another spring training. Mm-hmm. How's your outlook different or similar to years past? Um, I mean, the only difference is I'm out of, um, I'm just in a little different situation this year as far as um, as far as option goes. But I mean, my goal is just to get ready for April or opening day March. March, yeah. March 26th. March 26th. So, um, yeah, that's the goal, man. Like, I mean, obviously, you want to do good in spring training, but you can have a good spring training and then suck in the season. But my goal is to just be prepared for when the season comes. Do you feel any extra pressure, or is it business as usual? Business. Always just business. So, no pressure. Only pressure is, is the pressure we put on ourselves. So, not really any pressure. How would you describe the outfield group? There's a, you get three guys that have played a ton last year, and then a lot of, I guess, opportunity for other guys beyond that another roster spot this year um definitely a talented group um a lot of a lot of talent out there um i think it's going to be fun um fun competition um but yeah i mean obviously we got some guys who has a lot of experience like t oscar and gritch and guriel and at the end of the day we all trying to come together and trying to win ball games but um we got to just I don't know, just see which way everything falls and just, I don't know, just try to stick to our game. If you're playing well, how are you helping this baseball team win? When you're on, what does that look like? Um, on base a lot, stealing bases, scoring a lot of runs, playing a defense. Um, when, I, when I get in a rhythm at the plate, it's really fun. Um, just, I mean, just pretty much being a headache for the pitchers. Um, yeah, I mean, I know it's going to come. I mean, just off to a slow start right now, but it's going to come. You've been a guy that's had some challenging seasons with injuries, some really bad timing. That's things you can't control, but how is the body feeling this spring? Uh, best I've ever felt in spring training. Um, every, I still feel somewhat. I mean, obviously you have fatigue just because of spring training, been on your feet all the time, but um, I feel really good. No no aches, no pain, so I feel really good. Amazing. And another one for you. Uh two-sport athlete mm-hmm. you watching any xfl you paying attention to football or is it all what do you do in your spare time are you a baseball fan are you still a football fan how's that work um i mean i've watched more nfl than xfl i haven't really been keeping up with the xfl i mean honestly i don't really watch much tv period um a lot of netflix but <laughs> <laughs> um but i don't really watch a lot of tv um i, I mean i'd rather spend my time reading or spend time with family so um I mean, just every time I feel like every time I turn on TV, I see something negative. So I don't want to like, um, I don't really watch much TV unless I'm choosing what I'm watching, like a movie or Netflix, like I say, Netflix or Hulu or something. But um, like as far as like sports, I like when I'm away from the field, I just try to like just be a 
normal person. Like, um, I want to watch no baseball, no football. So, I want, even during football season, I don't really watch. I watch the Saints because I'm a Saints <laughs> fan, but like other than that, I don't really watch much. So you're just good at it. Doesn't mean he's yeah, just a hardcore yeah. fan, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not like even baseball. Like I, I watch it sometimes, but I'm not about to be glued to the TV every time a baseball game is on. I mean, like obviously, like it get more exciting um, towards the end of the season when teams are making a push for playoffs. And um, but as far as like just watching it every day, no, I'm not doing that. What's the team told you about this coronavirus? I know that. Certain gatherings of media have been restricted a little, but we're still able to do a one-on-one here. Is it something you think about, or is you just trusting the people, the clubhouse, to tell you what's right and what's wrong? Yeah, I trust them to tell me. I mean, I also know, like, um, my personal opinion, I feel like the news, the media is going to blow it up way more than um, they should. I mean, like... What, 3,500 people died worldwide from the coronavirus, like 50,000 died and shit from the flu, so like, hmm. you know what I'm saying, so like it's, and the fact like why, why I'm more intimidated by the flu because the more people that's killed by that than the coronavirus, like, I, I think like as long as you just stay um, sanitized, like, you'll be fine, like, I, I don't really interact with, with many people. Um, other than my family, like I, I'm definitely not now because my wife is pregnant, so I'm not taking a <laughs> chance on bringing something back to my wife, like sure. getting sick um, while she's carrying our baby. But um, yeah, I, I'm not really worried about it. Like it was the same thing when they had the um, what was it? Did uh, SARS for a while? Yeah, it was swine it, flu. All kinds yeah, of like all that stuff. Um, Ebola, like all that. Like I don't, I don't. Get, I, I think the, the the news and the media just blow it up more than it should be. Like they, I feel like they can over exaggerate. Um, like it's a scare tactic or whatever. But um, I don't really get caught up in it. Obviously, like I'm, a, I'm, I'm a still be aware of like it's still, it is going around and it is possible to catch it. But I'm not scared by any means. I'm not gonna be one of those guys walking around with a mask and. <laughs> Like gloves and a full like shield on my face, I'm not gonna be that guy. But I will be like making sure I'm sanitizing and cleaning my hands and um, watching how I interact with people. Guys, talking about it a bit in the clubhouse or just not at all? Business as usual. Yeah, just business, man. We just we talk more baseball than yeah. coronavirus. I don't think I don't think many guys is like and Tim. Like we joke about it more than anything. Okay. Like, hey, I'm not shaking any hands. I just tap your feet up to something. Like, um, but I don't think anybody's like really just intimidated by it. Yeah. Have a great spring. Thanks Thank for chatting. You. Do appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. There you go. That's Ryan Pinder from Dunedin, Florida. Earlier today, talking to Jays outfielder Anthony Alford. Uh, you heard Ryan asking him about the competition in the outfield. Uh, Alford's been a member of the Jays for a number of years now, going back to when he was drafted by them. He's gotten into a handful of games every year since 2017. He played in four games uh, in 2017, 13 in 2018, and he got into 16 games. Uh, last year, the problem for Anthony Alford is the Jays outfield is a crowded place, especially this spring. Uh, if you just look at outfielders at the MLB level listed by the Toronto Blue Jays this year, Anthony Alford is on that list with six other guys. Jonathan Davis, Derek Fisher, Randall Grichuk, Lourdes Goriel Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, and Billy McKinney. That's too many names for only three outfield spots. Uh, of course, you're looking perhaps for a DH and a guy that you can switch in and out, but I would honestly look at that and say Guriel Jr., Grichuk, you're 
probably two mainstays there in the Jays' outfield, and then you got to figure out the rest there. Some guys have changed positions to be there. Do you know what Teoscar Hernandez is? Uh, it's a bit of a crowded outfield, and Anthony Alford, at 25 years old now, uh, needs to find a way to get onto this roster and stay there. Definitely speed an option for Alford if he wants to be a part of this Jays team. Uh, a good base stealer if he can do it at the major league level. So that will be a battle that Ryan's going to watch throughout spring training uh, and the Jays fans will likely be glued to as well. One more interview that Ryan did this morning uh, in Dunedin was the father of Jays prospect, uh, Bo Bichette, probably the only other position player at least other than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. that uh, has a lot of hype around him concerning the Toronto Blue Jays prospect. Uh, he had a tremendous start to his Blue Jays career last season. Only got into 46 games with 11 home runs, 21 RBIs. He's just 22 years old, uh, and his dad, Dante, knows all about the process of being successful at the major league level. Dante, Bo's father, spent 14 years and played over 1,700 games in the major leagues, and he talked about the path ahead for his son, Bo Bichette, with Ryan Pinder earlier today. Look at this, Dante Bichette. This is unbelievable. You, you got the gear on. You're throwing BP there. You getting any cuts in or what? I'm getting no cuts in, and that's a good thing because that would be a little <laughs> embarrassing these days. So how did this come to be? I was talking to some of the staff here. You don't have a formal role, but you've been helping out in, with spring instruction, I guess. You know, I've, I've been helping out for about a year or two now, so ever since my kids been involved, and, and they decided to make it official and come out and get in uniform and help out a little bit more and uh, um, it's fun it's, it's it's really fun I mean I get to watch the kid play obviously up up close but uh, um, I get to help out you know there's a little experience in here hopefully I can give a little wisdom pass it on yeah and it sounds like that has happened some guys aren't afraid to take advantage of your knowledge and the history that you have with the sport yeah yeah I mean heck why not I mean I I think players learn mostly from players and and uh, I know I learned most of my my game from the, the guys before me and if I can help out a little bit in any way I'm I'm here how's your boy look I think he looks great I think you know we, we've talked about it he's uh you know he, he didn't have to make the team this spring which right. is so so the throttle hasn't been turned on and he's he you know he got he, he, he wasted a lot of energy in spring last year trying to make this team, and it was a good thing. He opened some eyes. So this year he's, he's approaching a little bit different, and it's good to see. His swing's been good. His work defensively has been really good. So I think he'll turn up here in the next week or so and get ready for the season. You'd know the personality and the athlete better than anyone, but were you surprised how quickly it happened for him last year? Uh, you know, the kid, I don't know, man. I, I kind of felt, felt like he was ready with the bat probably a long time ago, you know. Uh, the glove came a little, you know, he's, he's had to work to get his body to be a shortstop and stuff like that. He's always, I mean, I think he was born to hit, you know. So, wasn't surprised with the bat, to be honest. But, yeah, the glove has come fast, man. Since high school, I think about the senior year, I started noticing this kid's got a chance to play shortstop, and he's worked hard to be that. So, it's fun to watch. Tell us about the makeup. What drives him? What What is in there that gets him out of bed every morning? What is he trying to achieve? I think he truly wants to leave a legacy in this game and, 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 and be that guy, you know. And and, and, and and he tries, you know, his offseason are not just about being a better ball player. He truly will talk about how can he better himself, you know, just himself. So he's just trying to be the best he can be, and I, that's what drives him, I think. And finally, the WestJet folks did a commercial with him. They said, the guy's got some acting chops. Is that from you or mom has got that? That's from his mama, man. That's from his mama for sure because she, she was the actress, not, not me. <laughs>
but it's fun to see. I'm glad he enjoyed it. That was a fun, fun little gig for him to do. Yeah, and, and here you go. You got fans from all across Canada here, all wearing Bichette jerseys for your son. That's a pretty cool story. That I don't know when that you thought that might be reality, but that there's, now there's a, a legacy building beyond just you with this last name. You know, I, I thought they were all here to see me. So you're telling me, <laughs> you're telling me they're not, right? Yeah, Colorado okay. Blues. That was the arrow, maybe, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's cool. It's cool to see that. The more more Bichette jerseys out there, the 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 funner it is for him. I think so. It's a good thing. Thanks for chatting. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. There you go. Dante Bichette, the father of Jay's shortstop, Bo Bichette, chatting with our own Ryan Pinder in Dunning, Florida. Of course, Ryan there. Thanks to our good friends at WestJet. Uh, he looks like he's been enjoying it. It's been a great afternoon at the ballpark if you're a Jays fan. They're up 14-1 to on the Baltimore Orioles in spring training action today. Uh, speaking of Bo Bichette, uh, two hits and RBI on the day for him uh, before being replaced just a couple innings ago. No reason to keep him in. The, the Jays have this one uh, well in hand. We'll continue to hear from Ryan throughout the week. We'll talk to him in person a little bit later on in the show. Uh, and he also caught up with Danny Jansen, the Jays catcher. Uh, we'll hear from him with that one later on as well. Well, Pat Steinberg said to join the show a little bit earlier than usual. But he's got some Calgary Roughnecks lacrosse to talk next. He'll join the show in just a moment. It's Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. That music means it's time for our weekly Calgary Roughneck Spotlight. Welcome back to the program from the Scotiabank Saddledome. Pat Steinberg and Jeff Snyder along with you. A big win for the Roughnecks over the weekend. They go into Toronto, take out one of the top teams in what is now the NLL's North Division. 13-10 is the final score. They're back to 5-5 five and five on the year. And the Roughnecks back at home Friday afternoon for the St. Patrick's Day party against the Saskatchewan Rush. Of course, St. Patrick's Day is next week, but they're celebrating Friday at the Dome. Come for the party, stay for the game for the Rush and the Roughnecks on Friday night, 7.30. It's a big game. Sask on top of Calgary's division at 7-3. and three. Snides, how are you, pal? I'm doing well, man. Doing great. You know? how, how big was that win for the Roughnecks in Toronto? That's a tough barn to play in, man. It's hard to go in there. Um, you know, there's a lot of history with the Toronto Rock and, and going into that arena and playing in, in you know, one of the hotbeds of lacrosse in Canada. It's, uh, it's always challenging. So a big win for the Calgary Roughnecks. What, this, this team seems like they're starting to trend in the right direction. Seems like they're starting to find their game that's wins now in three of their last four. Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, uh, having Dane out for, you know, a, a third of the season, um, you know, you've got guys that have had to step up. You've had guys that have had to take on different roles. And then having Dane back into the lineup as well, um, you know, there's an adjustment period there. And, and uh, you know, it, it's it, it's one of those things where, you know, you look at the Roughnecks season over the last, you know, over the last two years, championship last year, the adversity that they faced, like all of these things are positive things. You know, it, it, obviously when you suit up and, and you get out in sports, you want things to go well and you know you want to um you know you want to be successful but the reality is is that at the end of the day you're vying for a championship and and every team every year is different from the previous and 
you know, you need to reinvent and redefine and, and go through this adversity again. And, and that's what the Roughnecks are doing. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it's surprising that they went in and popped off a big win like that. But at the same time, I think it's it's a testament to just the adversity that they face this year. And, and hopefully they continue to face adversity as they build towards the end of the season. It's Pat Steinberg and Jeff Snyder along with you. It is the Calgary Roughneck Spotlight. We do it every Wednesday at this time right here on Pinder and Steinberg. And our featured guest on today's Roughneck Spotlight happens to be none other than the head coach of the Calgary Roughnecks, Kurt Malowski, joins us on the line right now. Kurt, you're on with Pat Steinberg and Jeff Snyder. How are you? Good, Todd. Good to hear from you. You too, Schneid. Well, tell us about Sunday's win over Toronto. How uh, how was that? What did you like about your group's performance? I thought that was probably our best game of the year. You know, that's a, that's a tough building to play in, as as you guys know, and it's a tough travel and we had uh, we had to go out to the nations to practice so that was about a six-hour turnaround and it was a long day for our boys and uh you know but they knew the importance of the game and i thought uh, and a lot of it was one between the lines of that we got we won a lot of face-offs birds got a, a lot of balls popped a lot out we got a lot in the, in the battles and the, on the walls and stuff and we took care of the uh, possessions and i thought we uh we came off the bench real hard we created a lot of secondary transition and our offense watching the video back again last night. Our our offense was moving their feet. Every guy, um, you know, 44 stood a little bit, but that's to be expected. He had a bit of a layoff there. So, uh, but that most of the guys were moving pretty good. And then out the back end, we were aggressive. We had a pretty good game plan of how we wanted to play them. And you know, the addition of uh, with Dawson and Schreiber right at the last minute, we kind of had a feeling that would come. And you know, it, it was good and it was bad. It took the ball out of Robbie's stick, but it uh, you know Schreiber was good and Dawson creates a lot of space for those two guys. But you know, I thought we, we managed it well with some of our size. And, and, and again, I, I think Kristen Del Bianco was outstanding. Um, early in the game, he wasn't at his best, but he didn't get a lot of shots. Um, but he sure made the ones he needed to down the stretch in the second half when they were pushing back. And uh, so right from top to bottom, I thought it was an exceptional team game. How important was it for that type of effort after a tough loss at home the weekend before? Yeah, I you know that one really hurt you. You look at it, and I'm you know breaking down the games left in the season, and uh, and then you say, okay, man, if we would have had that one, and you know that was a tough divisional loss. I thought uh, you know I just thought we let that one slip slip away. They're a good team, but um, I, I like our chances when we play them night in and night out. But um, that that one really hurt, and I think our guys knew that we had to bounce back. And the only way to kind of erase that one was to get the big win in Toronto. Regardless, if we win that one, loss in Toronto would have been five and five. It is a divisional game. But we are playing those guys again, so uh, you know it's uh, it, it, it's 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 going to be uh, it's going to be tough down the way. But to, you know, to get the the effort we got was great. You've got wins in three of your last four, Kurt. Is is this team starting to find the game they need heading into the playoffs? Yeah, you know what? It's it's. I think we're we're playing better. We're getting better as we get along as we go along here, and it's it's tough because you know not I'm just not having a you know, the favorable schedule and it's been tough. And then without Doves was tough. And then we, we got Jesse's out for, for a little bit more here. So it's, it's been really difficult. It's just, it's just been an odd run. And then the three week layoffs and stuff like that. And so um, we're, we're just playing a week to week. It, it's a little different than last year. The fact that, you know, the top four within and, and you, you know, pretty much knew right away you were getting in. You just didn't know who you were playing. And if you're on the road or if you're at home here now with the new uh, playoff schedule, it's like, we're, we're in playoff mode. We're fighting. And, you know, predominantly year after year, we, we do ramp it up at the end of the season. And, and right now, like, we, we're not talking about the four and five start. We're looking at the one and oh in the, in the back end of the back end stretch here of, the, of our last nine games, eight games left now. So um, I, do I think we're playing better? Yeah, if we can duplicate what we did last week, we'll be on the right side of the scoreboard more times than not. 
He is Kurt Malowski, the head coach of the Calgary Roughnecks, with us here on our Roughneck Spotlight. Snides. Yeah, Kurt, you know, we were talking, um, you know, prior to, to getting on the call with you just about, um, you know, the adversity that the team's faced and the growth. And, um, you know, it's been a long time since I uh, I strapped on the pads and, and played underneath you. But, you know, seeing the championship last year and, you know, recognizing that there's a lot that's gone on, um, you know, during that time, it was awesome to see the big win. Do you, you know, how do you find yourself? Um, you know, this this has been kind of a platform for us to get to know guys on the team and and uh and share personalities and all that stuff i don't know a lot of people know that we you know we played together i uh, played under you um and uh you know do you how do you how do you find yourself coming along um you know in the past you know call it five years with respect to getting a championship and and now leading into this season you know on that uh uh, you know, on, 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 you know, an opportunity looking to repeat, um, you know, based on the adversity and the stuff that everything the team's gone through to get to where they are, do you find yourself, you know, continuing to evolve, um, you know, as a head coach in the National Lacrosse League? Yeah, you know, it's, you know, Schneider, I've, I've had the fortunate, you know, opportunity to coach some real good lacrosse players and play with real good lacrosse players, guys like yourself and, you know, Andrew McBride and, you know, I, I've got Dobes there now and Dick. So we've had a lot of really good, really good guys that, to learn from as a coach and, and you know I think just year after year just you know every guy brings a little bit something different and and you think you have a plan as a coach on how how ways should go but then another guy kind of opens up your eyes and you deal with this guy this way and that guy that way and you know it's it really evolves yourself as a coach and I learned a lot from from not winning you know I it, it could to be to be completely candid and honest like I always am with you guys is that it really would just it took a lot of pressure off of me as a personally, as a coach to be able to win the championship and say, okay, there's a lot of naysayers that are out there and say, you know what? Yeah, they got it done. And it's not about just me me as a coach. I'm only a little microcosm of the whole big scheme of things. It's about the guys. And, and I love seeing their success, but just evolving as a coach to answer your question is just year after year, you just take a little bit from each guy and, it's kind of solidified the fact that we can get it done. We were questioned, you know, we moved guys in and out year after year and, you know, for various reasons. And, and then, and then the, why'd you do that? Why'd that move get done? This and that. And then just to kind of have it all work out and, 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 and get it done for the city of Calgary and the fans was, was real special. And, you know, for, for Bordy too, you know, and the organization, it's just, you know, it's just nice to see the other guys win and the guys that have never won championships. And, and uh, you know, it's, you know, being fortunate to be on the side of it when you're a player to win it, and then as a coach, it, it was great as a player, outstanding. And but just to see the the guys win it, that was the best part for me. And and the biggest takeaways that I take from it is just being able to see the guys and their and their dads, like Reese Cowley's his dad in tears, and Josh Currier's dad down in the room, and me myself being a father, just being able to see that interaction was something I never really expected. But that was one of the the biggest takeaways and just to see how much the guys care and how hard it was and how much they put into it just to get out and just to see them and Curtis Dixon running around. He didn't even know where to run to. It just, it was so, it was so emotional. It was so, it was so special and, you know, makes it all worth it. And just seeing those things make you more hungry to want to repeat, just to, to be able to see for the guys that, to, you know, the newer guys that never got to taste that or, or, or to do something that's the toughest thing in sport is to repeat. So, you know, I, I honestly can say I, to evolve in the NLL as a coach, it's it's right from the guys that I first started, you know, back with Timmer in 2010 and moving all the way through. Every single guy had a, had a had a hand in, in where where I am today, and and and, and just to be a, the person that I want to be behind the bench and help guys and how I dealt with Schneider's first hand seat, how I dealt guys early in my coaching career to how I dealt with guys later. 
you know, it's, it's, it's a testament to each guy, man. And, and again, it's, it's never really about me, but to answer your question, man, I feel fortunate to be a, a part of the Calgary organization and be able to be touched by some of these great athletes and to have it just to be solidified as, as, as that we won last year was great for the guys, but you know what? It, I was able to sit down and put a smile on my face and said, yeah, man, finally, because we had some heartbreak. 2014 we had some tough tough goals and i'll never forget the look on guys faces and some of the tough decisions we had to make just eats me uh, eats me to this day so you take a little bit of solace and to be able to get it done but uh, the relationships i built all the way through are, are what makes me the man i am today i think i like it what you know another another question i guess is no secret you're an intense guy um you know i uh i, I love that about you and, and uh uh, you know, I, I I think I deal with a lot as well, just in terms of coaching in the community and and having that intensity and that that fiery compete level. Do you do you find yourself, um, you know, as you you know you get longer in the tooth in your in your coaching career, do you find yourself, you know, curbing that a little bit more with the athletes that you have? Do you find the environment being a little bit different than? You know, it, it's no secret that it you know in 2007, you know, going into Victoria and playing you know, uh, alongside you in the WLA, the stuff that went on out there, you know, you'd probably get put in jail for uh, you know, <laughs> nowadays. But um, you know, do, do you find that the environment is changing? Do you find that your approach, um, you know, from an intensity perspective, being, you know, one of the most intense guys out there, do you, do you find yourself having to, you know, reel that in a little bit or, or have you refined that, um, you know, in terms of working with, you know, today's uh, National Lacrosse League athlete? Yeah, it's a great question, Shadi. You know what? Yeah, I have, I have definitely refined my coaching style. I think the Gatorade bottles and the and the stuff in the room can attest to that. But you know, I, I it's you have to you have to kind of evolve with the times. I think if you want longevity in this game and 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 as a coach, and you know, I feel very fortunate to be in Calgary for so long. But I have changed a lot of the things that I do, and whether it be systematic things or 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 just the way you approach things or where you approach athletes or. or you know, you don't need to lose your mind in training camp. You know, even 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 you know, you start off a little bit slower, and it depends how you lose. I I think you, you kind of look at it objectively and and say, hey, you know what? When's the right time? And and then you and then you really surround yourself with great leaders. And I think that that makes a big big difference in the fact that they can take a lot of heat off the coach. And it's not always always your voice or the highway, your voice or one way or the highway. It's changed so much over the years, and 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 the athletes have helped me do that. Um, do I, you know, I don't think our team's like this, but I've seen it around I've, and we've had guys um, like I've seen guys in the league that, that, that play, like sometimes they play entitled and, and it's, that's the, the new generation. Like I love the old school warriors. You're one of them, like the guys that'll just die to win and that'll play in those, those seven games that that's not lost. And, and the leadership we have, is kind of like that is, is those guys that that'll play in those 2007 championships and do whatever it takes to win. So that's still a huge part of my coaching philosophy is that, is that you, how bad you want it? Cause it, once you know how bad you want it, then, then you're going to do whatever it takes to get it done. And that's something we really preach in Calgary. And, and so do I think the generation that changed with the kids? Yeah. Some of them are soft, man. Like I, I think that. And so, you know, you can only, you can kind of coddle them a little bit. At the end of the day, you got to be a man, and then you got to just play your game. And 
And, uh, but we, we do a pretty good job of making sure that we got the right guys. And then our leadership, you know, we have those guys in place that molds those young guys. So, um, are, are the, are the younger athletes, exceptional athletes? Absolutely. Like some, like the, the athletic ability these days that the kids come out with bigger, stronger, faster, and the sticks are just amazing. Um, but I don't think that old school mentality, the, the, you know, the honest effort, honest result needs to go by the wayside. It's just changing the approach on getting that message across. With Kurt Malowski, the head coach of the Calgary Roughnecks. Good stuff, Mouse. Uh, and and just a couple more before we let you go. I mean, let's talk about the stakes of Friday's game here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. You've got your arch rival, the Saskatchewan Russian town. They're number one in your division, but you're only two games back. Just a thought on the importance and the challenge of Friday night. Yeah, it, it, I was watching the tape on them this week, and, and you know they're playing good lacrosse. You know they get Dilts back, and they get Cornwall back, and their their little things playing real well. And they added a couple of young, energetic guys on the back end. And, you know, so it's it, it's going to be it's going to be a tough task. They always play us tough, um, no matter where it's here or whether it's in Saskatoon. And they have a really good following. I expect it to be a, a huge crowd in, in Calgary this weekend. And you know, it's kind of we, we're so far in the season, and we haven't even seen them in a game. So this is you know add that to the factor that it's going to be a battle and last time we played them in our rink we we, we give it to them pretty good and and uh you know they're above us in the standings and and it's like we're not we just need wins no matter who we're really playing we need to we need to just continue to try to pile up the wins but um it's going to be an intense game to me they're the best team in the nll right now and you know, which everyone says is kind of a litmus test and a test to see where you where you match up against them. Um, I'm more concerned about my guys than it is to, to see. You know, if we play our game and how we how we can play how we did on on uh, last Sunday. You know, I think we're like I said earlier, we'll be on the right side of it. But um, absolute massive test for our guys and just you know they put you in spots where 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 it's uncomfortable and how do you respond to it and and how do you play out of it and it's just. The mental discipline, the mental fortitude when you play a team like that and just trying to stay the course for the whole game throughout the adverse situations is is tough. It really does it really does define you, you know, within that sixty minute game. And uh, you know, I, you know, we've had tendencies in the past, guys, and as you know, is that we go out and have a great effort and the next time we, we walk in the rink with a house coat and slippers on and we get pounded. So that's a challenge for our guys to see with this new group, you know, how we're going to respond to to last weekend and especially with a challenge like that coming in. And all we really do as a coaching staff is go five at a time and and hopefully we can just kind of build on and put 60 together. But it's going to be an exceptional game on, on Friday night. Final thought, and that's just on playing at home. I know it hasn't been the friendliest in terms of results so far this year, but it looks like you're starting to maybe establish something here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. How important will that be down the stretch? Yeah, you always want to take care of home floor, and it's not the start that we had. I, I thought we let it, let a couple get away from us there, and sometimes I think the guys want it so bad for the fans, and and we 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 uh, we can't play a little different at times, and you know the the pressure adds at certain key moments in the game where we're on the road. It's just like we just play. It's just the focus on hitting the floor. You know, the organization and Bordy does an exceptional job of make, taking all the the intangibles, all the things that we should never worry about that with the white noise out of it, we're on the road. And, and I think at home, we got to try to do that. And I, and I love that the guys want to play so hard for the fans. And But I think if we can have that road road uh, warrior mentality at home, I think it would only benefit us. And, you know, we are fans some games, and but uh, we just got to try to play who we are no matter where we are. And we love being there. And we want, the guys want to reward the, the fans for how, you know, how passionate they are and how, how dedicated they are. They stick it, they stick 
with us year after year, ups and downs. And, you know, you know, we just, we want to have a good showing on, on Friday night, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, we got to really focus on, on ourselves and hopefully we can reward the fans and play well there. Cause it, uh, typically you want it, you want to make your, your home floor a real tough place to play. And I think it's a testament to the city of Calgary. I think Schneids could say guys love coming to Calgary and playing. They just have a great time here. And it's, they can't wait to get here. So, you know, maybe we got to make it a little bit tougher on them, a little bit more sandpaper on the floor when the whistle goes. Good stuff, Mouse. Appreciate it. Good luck on Friday against the Rush. We'll see you in a couple days. Yeah, thanks for having me on, boys. I really enjoy it. You got it, Mouse. Fun chat. It's Kerr Malowski, the head coach of the Calgary Roughnecks. They're at home Friday. They take on the Saskatchewan Rush. And as you just heard from Kurt, that's a uh, that's an extremely good team. That's difficult task the, the Roughnecks have on their hands on Friday night. They're deep, man, and they've got a lot of chemistry, too. Um, you know, uh, they've got guys that have played together for quite some time. They've got guys that have won together multiple times. They've got, uh, you know, they've got some of those intangible things that are hard to recreate, and I think they really enjoy, uh, you know, suiting up with one another and going to war with one another. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that game on Friday night. It's going to be a battle. 7.30 Friday night here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. It's the uh, St. Patrick's Party. Come for the party. Stay for the game. It's going to be a lot of fun. The Dome's going to be rocking, and it's going to be a good lacrosse game as well. This is a real litmus test measuring stick game for the Roughnecks. Uh, once again, 7.30 is face-off time. Get here early. Have some of those happy hour specials and uh, pregame it a little bit. It's Friday night. It's going to be a, a busy weekend. Friday Roughnecks, Saturday Flames, Sunday Hitman. Friday, Saturday, Sunday's busy here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. What's kicking at Elevate Lacrosse? Man, we're rocking. We got um, we got a goalie camp coming up this weekend. It's our first one. Um, you're, you're, you're teaching that one? No, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Um, I teach you how to run a goalie. Um, but uh, no, I uh, I'm uh, I'm not. We got Adam Shute actually. Adam Shute's been great in the community. Oh, he's uh, he's doing a ton of research here right now, which is awesome. He does lab work here in the city of Calgary. He's, uh, he's great. He's obviously with the Rush, but he'll be working with us on uh, on Saturday afternoon. Um, what's cool about that, I think, a little bit different is that um, you know we've got you know, it's great to have a goalie coach. Adam's going to be fantastic with the guys, um, but we got pro shooters so we've got 10 guys that are lined up that you know it's great to get in front of a ball but it's also great to have a guy that can put a ball where he wants to so um, it's going to be pretty in-depth and a little bit different take on on what you do with goaltenders so if you're interested in getting tuned up prior to the season that's uh that's where you should be and registration's open for that we just um we're, we're partnered again here with calgary field lacrosse uh, which is um, a, a non-parent coach program um, grassroots program if you want to get your start um, you know, in lacrosse in general this summer. It runs July and August. Registration's open for that right now. Or if you want to continue to develop in the field game or learn about the field game um, for both boys and girls, that's open as well. Um, and then we got spring camp coming up. So we're rocking, man. Poor. We got Bobby. Bobby's getting back. I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that he's, uh, you know, he's moving along here. He, he uh, obviously had a pretty bad injury, um, you know, a couple of weeks back. And um, you know, he's, uh, he's in through surgery. Dr. French and Dr. All did a great job with him and, and he's, um, you know, he's, uh, coming back into one piece. So, um, tough losing him out on the floor, but, you know, a testament to what he's all about. He'll be back out there coaching here in no time, working with uh, the kids in the community. So we're, we're looking forward to having him back here right away. Elevatelacrosse.com, right? That's it. You That's us. Get, if you, you can just type in the word elevate or elev with the number eight. Exactly. Because you bought both domains because... You're smart. I wouldn't have done that. Well, you know what? When you when it's the first real lesson in business is to figure out a good name, and and uh, there's another story about where that came from uh, for another time. It's a little too long to tell right now. But, uh, yeah, come check us out, elevatelacrosse.com. Thanks, Nides. You got it, man. Thanks, always. That's our Calgary Roughnecks Spotlight as we continue on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, we kicked that out again. 
back to normal. Riley, three burning questions, sir. Yeah, I've uh, had to make a few adjustments as news keeps coming into our lives, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> go with the Flames first. 12 sure. games remaining on the Flames schedule. How many of those do you think need to be wins in order for them to get into the playoffs? This race is insane right now. Yeah, things get a little bit tighter after Vancouver's shootout victory over the Islanders last night. Uh, Vancouver still has that game in hand, and I think general rule of thumb is you you at least give two points usually for the game in hand until things change. Um, How many wins specifically out of the 12 do they need? I'm going to say at least seven wins. If you can go seven, three, and two, at least if a couple of those losses go into extra time and you can get a point, then I'll say that's seven times two is 14. Uh, 16 points puts you there. Yeah, I'm going to say 16 points Yeah, is what you need. So somewhere around seven wins or six wins if you can get a couple in overtime. That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say seven. Yeah, that honestly, that's right what I was thinking too, seven Seven, three, and two, or you know, like an eight and five is okay, or uh, eight and four. There we go. Yeah, eight and, and four like, is okay. Yeah, but I think ninety-five Some points. Of those wins, put those wins against Vancouver and yeah. two against Winnipeg, stuff like that. Then things change a little bit. But if you're just going against, you know, say a faceless opponent, you're not factoring any three-point games specifically. I'd say seven, uh, eight or nine for sure puts you there, but yeah. seven and maybe some extra time points uh, will get you there for sure. All right. Uh, Seattle Mariners will be moving their home games to start the season due to a ban in the state on gatherings of 250 people or more. Do you think a place like Montreal is a viable option for Mariners home games, or do you think they'll try oh. and do it somewhere closer? Is it a viable place? Yes. It is uh, because there's a, a baseball stadium there, and uh, it could certainly fill fans there. And I think that they would probably, you know, if the fans in Montreal, we've known at least for the Blue Jays spring training games, has always been a popular place. I'm not sure how Mariner fans would be, you know, how many um, how many fans, excuse me, a Mariners game would attract in Montreal. It's, it's an option. The only thing that were the two things that I would say I would probably put it in the no category as far as actually happening. One is moving your your team and operations that far away from Seattle, uh, just because it's it's not close logistically. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say that that's a thing. And to be honest, I don't know what the, the situation is in Montreal as far as there this is goes too. eight total coronavirus cases in Quebec as of now. Okay, and and you know how do I answer that as far as and what Montreal and Quebec are going to start doing recently? Yeah. Is it is an entire you know, unknown to me, and it's pretty much been the bane of this week for, for me and Pat. Is you know we we want to discuss it and talk about these sort of things, and it's a it's an honest question, Riley, and I, I appreciate the question because it makes sense, and I would love to see Montreal uh, be a baseball spot like that. And you know, if a team's gonna have to play games somewhere else, I'd love for it to be in Montreal. But logistically, not so sure. And as to what you know, the level of worry is in Quebec and Montreal for this sort of thing. I don't know either, so yeah. uh, probably still an unknown as to what's going to happen with that. Yeah, I'm wondering if they might go more the play the series at the supposed to be visiting teams. Uh, yeah, stadium yeah. As instead. long as that place is still open for business, yeah. then sure. But I mean, once you start getting into these situations, 
and there's so much baseball that needs to be played in a short period yep. of time. It's hard to move these things around. Uh, baseball, I think, has got a, a serious struggle coming up on its hands as the season's set to open in a couple weeks. All right, let's get to a positive note on the baseball sure. front then. The uh, the Jays are crushing the Orioles right now. It's 14-2 to in the top of the ninth. Mm-hmm. Um, who are you most excited to watch on the Jays this season, and do you think they have a legit shot at the playoffs if if only just a wild card shot? Who am I most excited to see? Um, you know what? It's funny because uh, we just heard from Dante Bichette, Bo's father, and I'm really excited to see what Bo Bichette can do. I, I know Vladdy. I'm a big fan of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and uh, it's, it's so nice to see a slugger in Toronto uniforms, and it's very hard to do what he does so naturally, and the home run's a great spectacle, but I, I wonder if Bo Bichette isn't the, the better overall player and the guy that will really carry the Blue Jays going forward. I was so impressed with him last season. He's continued it into a really strong spring. It's obviously in his blood with his dad playing over 1,700 major league games, and he's just 22. Uh, the future's so bright for him and this Toronto team. I would say he's probably number one on my list. As far as what the Jays do competitively, I expect them to take a, a step forward and certainly in the right direction this year. It'll be tough because, you know, even with a team like Boston moving out Mookie Betts and David Price to L.A., you still expect them to be competitive. The Rays are always going to give you a challenge. And despite injuries, the Yankees are still the Yankees. Um, If you can, you know, really take a chance and beat up on teams like Baltimore when you get the chance and uh, when you move into those situations, maybe. I, I would say at least a maybe for a wild card spot, but... I wouldn't be disappointed if the Jays weren't in that position either. Yeah, I think it's another one of those seasons of as long as they're competitive and look like they're making strides, it's okay to not make it this year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you're as long as you're better than you were last year and you're moving in the right direction and those guys get a full season under their belt, I'll be really happy with that and then, you know, the window continues to talk about next year and what it'll be like for the Jays it's hard to imagine that at this point you know you're talking about windows and openings in two years but I think that's really the sweet spot for this uh, Jays team yeah agreed that's all I got all right Browns appreciate it buddy as always uh, Pat back with the show in moments we got a busy day for you Hudson's is in studio in a couple in about an hour or so as Pat and Will are going to be down at Hudson Shaughnessy tonight for our final uh, Hot AF Wing Challenge. You've heard about it uh, since about February we've been doing these. So excited to uh, find our final one tonight. Sign up there. Try the 10 Hot AF Wings in two minutes. No drinking, no touching your face, no napkins. Uh, And if you can do that, then you will get wings for a year from Hudson's. And uh, you can also try the Death Wing. I don't know. I haven't heard anyone try the Death Wing, but I can't imagine when something's called the Death Wing, that it's overly fun. Lots to get to on the show. Steinberg joins it next. Flames practice today. Back at it tomorrow against the Islanders. We'll dive into all of that and more on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Well, Oaks, this thing keeps on changing hour to hour. Here's the latest on what's going on when it comes to sports and the coronavirus in wacko March 2020. We will have an NBA game played tonight with no fans. Golden State will host Brooklyn 
in San Francisco in front of nobody. A complete closed-door game between the Warriors and the Nets. That is happening tonight, confirmed. Nothing the Golden State Warriors can do about it. Tomorrow, Columbus Blue Jackets host the Pittsburgh Penguins. Sounds like that will be done in front of no spectators, despite the Blue Jackets trying to flex on the governor of Ohio yesterday and say, uh, yeah, you know that suggestion? We're not going uh, uh, we're, we're to heed that suggestion. To which the governor of Ohio then said, it wasn't a suggestion, you can't do this, you're not holding your game with fans. So it looks like Columbus will be playing games, at least for the time being, and their next game uh, in front of nobody. The state of New York is in a state of emergency. Are the Flames even going? Will they play their three games in New York next week? Will we be doing broadcasts from there if they do go? I, I have no idea no the clue. answers to these questions. They're fair questions, but I don't know the answer to them. Rogers has canceled hometown hockey for the rest of the season. They had three more stops on Sundays. Hometown hockey done for the year. The World Figure Skating Championships have been canceled. Every hour when there's a piece of news, every day as this news cycle continues to spin, it just keeps on getting worse. And the implications from a sports standpoint, and I'm not going to sit here and say that sports is more important or anything like that. We just are a sports yes. radio station, so we focus on sports. Every hour this goes by, it just gets worse and worse, and the consequences become larger and larger to the point that, Again, as we talked about yesterday, 24 hours ago, I said, I think everything's on the table. Well, mm. now I really believe everything's on the table, and now everything is on the table and really in front of you. Like, it, before it was in the middle of the table. Now it's right in front of you. If they were to postpone the NHL season for weeks, wouldn't surprise me. If no. they were to just suspend the NHL season, season indefinitely with no plan, wouldn't surprise me. Same with the NBA. If they were to pause the start of the Major League Baseball season, none of this stuff would surprise me as it stands right now. That's how bonkers this thing has gotten. And it, it is, it has evolved exponentially in the 24 hours since we last spoke. It's nuts. It's nuts it's, what is going on right it's now. It's crazy. Every time we, even during that talk with that you guys had in the Roughneck Spotlight last hour, when you and Steins were talking to Kurt Malowski, we get three or four more emails or notifications or something on Twitter about, you know, this being canceled, this being postponed, this ha stop happening. And sooner or later, it's just going to get to the point, Pat, where we stop doing this on an individual basis for teams and the leagues just start shutting it down entirely. I really think that's the next step to it. Do I know that for sure? No, because I have no idea what's going on. We don't. We we're literally just in read and react mode right now. As news comes down, it's coming down so fast. It's coming down every hour. I, I don't know what'll have changed by the time the show ends tonight. I have no idea. I don't know what it'll be. Say for the Flames and the Islanders tomorrow. Uh, Wilsey was in here after media availability, and he made a good point. The Flames have to play the Islanders. At some point next week in New York, well, New York's in a state of emergency. Do, does, do the Islanders wind up sticking around in Alberta to play the Flames again? I have no idea, and the fact of the matter is, I don't think many people do know what's you know exactly to expect or what's going on, and we're just going to have to live by the seat of our pants on this one and see where it goes because it changes so frequently and so often, and the events are just it's not even being postponed. They're just being canceled. 
right? Well, and it's just it's going to keep happening at least for the foreseeable future. Mike uh, sends a text in at nine six zero nine six zero. Pat, please give your thoughts on the viability of the Calgary Stampede. I don't know. I I can guarantee you that the Stampede Board is having these discussions. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you the Stampede Board is putting contingency plans in place if they can't go forward. But like, that's July. That's a long way out. We can't even get through the end of the week. I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone what's going to happen July. So I have no clue what the the world is going to look like. Will we be completely past this thing? Maybe. Will it be worse? Maybe. Maybe. I have zero idea what this is going to look like between now and when we get to Stampede. But I I would suggest that they're they're definitely putting together contingency plans because, well, they'd be ridiculous not to. Yeah, any any sort of gathering like that where you're you're talking about people in small areas, people coming together for things, and you know the stampede brings in so many different people, and you know travel is a whole other thing for how people get here and where they go home, all that sort of stuff is you know a day by day basis for everyone around us right now. I have no idea events to the scale of stampede around here what they would have to go through if this is still a thing come the summertime. I hope it's not. I really do. Uh, You know, I'd much rather be talking about hockey than talking about this, but this is the biggest story. It's affecting what we do on a a daily basis, and it's coming to the sports world, and it's affected it. Uh, By the way, I said that the uh, game between Brooklyn and Golden State is tonight. It's tomorrow Mm. in San Francisco. I just wanted to make sure that I got that correction out there. But – doesn't change the fact that that's what's going Still to happen. Still not going to be fans there tomorrow. Played in, play, being played in front of an empty building. Uh, this is uh, this is scary times. Um, it is scary. No, I think the game is tonight, isn't it? The the Warriors and the Nets. It's Wednesday night. Today's Wednesday. Today right? is Wednesday. Yeah, it's, it's Wednesday. Um, anyway, uh, or is it tomorrow? No, it's tomorrow. I'm sorry. The the tweet <laughs> says tomorrow. Anyways, uh, let's let's move on from me not knowing what day it is. Golden State's here's the tweet from Golden State. Due to escalating concerns about the spread of the coronavirus and in consultation with the city and county of San Francisco, tomorrow night's tomorrow game, night's yes. game versus the Nets at Chase Center tomorrow will be played. The story that I'm fans. reading online from the Associated Press says Wednesday's game. That's why I'm confused. So there you go. Stupid Associated, Associated Press. Press says get out of here. Uh, I, again, it's scary. It's unprecedented. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. All we can do is continue to react and adjust mm-hmm. to it as things continue changing. And I guess try to talk about hockey when we can because there is a game to be played tomorrow. The Flames practice again today. Welcome back to Pinder and Steinberg. Hour two is underway alongside Logan Gordon. My name is Pat Steinberg. To actual hockey we go. Flames host the New York Islanders tomorrow. They're going to be a desperate team after last night's shootout loss to Vancouver, so you can expect the Islanders to be playing like their season is on the line because, well, their season is starting to be on the line. They are now outside of a playoff spot, and they are outside of a playoff spot by one point. They now trail the Columbus Blue Jackets and Carolina Hurricanes by a point. The Islanders have struggled of late, and... Granted, they do have two games in hand on Columbus, so they sit still in a decent spot to be there when it's all said and done. Uh, You're definitely not saying the Islanders are sitting pretty at 80 points. So all of a sudden, things are pretty dire for New York. 
and the situation from a desperation standpoint is a little higher for Calgary once again because with Vancouver's win over the New York Islanders last night, using one of their games in hand on Calgary, the Canucks are now just one back of the Flames with one in hand in the Pacific Division. So the Flames are one point out of falling out of the playoffs once again. That's what one loss can do to you in this wacky Western Conference race. So you should expect two pretty desperate teams tomorrow when the puck drops at 7 o'clock. Yeah, and we talked about this at the beginning of the week, and I mentioned it. It's a tough time for the Flames to have a three-day break like this because you didn't really know what was going to happen come tomorrow night, right? Even the standings tonight are going to be different when we come into work tomorrow and get ready for the Flames and the Islanders. We knew that Vancouver was definitely going to get one of their games in hands, and they took advantage of it. I always get that. We always talk about game in hands being so important, and I think we always naturally assume that those are two points for the team, and it's not always that case. So last night, Vancouver takes one of those game in hands that they have on Calgary and actually makes it two points. And now the reality is they're just one point behind Calgary. Uh, and that cushion uh, behind Edmonton got larger as we waited. They went to overtime with Vegas. So now you're four points back of Edmonton. So for Calgary, you want to continue to climb up, but you also have to be well aware there's a team right on your heels. It's nice that Arizona's sort of fallen out of it because uh, it's one less team to worry about if you're Calgary, but uh, you can't take any nights for granted, especially the next two. Islanders and Jets, like, yes, the Islanders aren't in your division and it's not a four-point game by, by that means, but they're fighting for everything too. Well, Guess what Winnipeg's going to be doing on it's Saturday? It's not like the back-to-backs in New York, if they play them, uh, are, going to, are, are going to be any less Don't important either. That. Rangers and Islanders on Monday and Tuesday of next week are, are going to be How are the Rangers strange. still in this? Because they're they're finding ways to win. Uh, that that was a big win over the Dallas Stars Crazy last night. Man. They're only three points back of Columbus with a game in hand. And Kreider's so. been out pretty much almost since late after the trade deadline. And he's there. not coming back anytime no. soon either. So uh, that was a big win for Vancouver. And the other Huge. team that needed points last night got them in the Western Conference in Nashville, who have now won three in a row. We talked about how the Preds needed to go into that game against Montreal, and they had to get those points. They got them, and they didn't allow a goal and a 2 nothing win over the Habs. So Nashville is currently holding down the first wild card spot in the Western Conference, also at 78 points also with a game in hand on Calgary. So the Flames are once again, and at no point have they ever been comfortable, no. but the cushion got a little larger there for a little bit, and there was maybe a little more breathing room. Well, that breathing room has evaporated in the span of one night, and we'll see what happens with action tonight, and we'll see how things go tomorrow. But I, I don't imagine that, you know, all of a sudden there's going to be a huge amount of breathing room at any point between now and the end of the regular season. No, if anything, you're honestly going to be in a spot where maybe you're talking the last two games of the season, if you're lucky for Calgary, aren't huge games. But at this point, the NA, I'm sure the NHL would love it if those last two games for Calgary against Vegas and Edmonton had huge meaning or points implication. and That just makes it that much more entertaining for everybody. But you're certainly not home and cooled by any means. And Look, I've been touting for the last little while that I've been on the air. I'm like, oh, you don't feel so bad if you're a Pacific Division team because you can catch the team in the Pacific while – uh, Dallas was sitting pretty in the central. Now all of a sudden the Stars have lost three straight and Nashville's only four points back of them for third place in the division. Every team isn't just at this point fighting just for that wild card spot. If you have higher aspirations to go on a run and try to sneak into your division in a top three spot, there's no reason that you shouldn't be going for that and that's exactly probably what Calgary's looking at. 
with Edmonton only four points up on them. Um, Travis Hamannick almost certainly back tomorrow. He's been medically cleared by Calgary's doctors, but is officially a game-time decision for tomorrow's game against the New York Islanders. Noah Hannafin, no update on him. He remains uncertain, but sure does sound like at least there's no guarantee that Hamannick will be back tomorrow, Mm -hmm. but he's been medically cleared, and he's been practicing with TJ Brody the last two games, so... It would just be a precaution if he doesn't return tomorrow. I would suggest 99, 95. I'll go 95. 95% that Hamannick goes tomorrow, and if not, he'll be in Saturday against the Winnipeg Jets. At 960-960, what do we got here? Uh, Just tuning in, did you guys catch the Valencia at – Atalanta Champions League game in an empty stadium and notice the crowd chants being played over the stadium speakers. Strange. I, did I, not I saw catch the that. pictures, but I didn't know that they were doing the well, crowd chants like that. I was uh, So I was listening to a rare opportunity to listen to Howard Stern live coming in to MC the Special Olympics Breakfast with Champions yesterday morning and was listening to Stern live and they played a clip of a goal being scored in an empty stadium Champions League game and there was no piped in crowd noise it was just like you heard him score and the commentators doing his regular oh it's a brilliant strike and it's beautiful beautiful once again and but all you could hear was nothing and then you kind of heard the team cheering so you heard like a few claps and it was bizarre uh this reads just cancel the season and playoffs already Take the global recommendations and be preemptive. No need to try to maximize revenue until the last possible moment when recommendations become mandates. Um, I think the key word in that text that's going to prevent them from canceling or anything and not postponing it is revenues. There's, there's still there's too much money in these sort of things for for leagues and seasons and teams like this to just cancel everything. If you're going to talk about postponing things so they can still play them in the future, absolutely. <laughs> Do I think that they're just going to straight up cancel them? No, there's too much money at hand, especially in a league like the NHL. What would happen if they just canceled the season? And it's not like like I don't even know. Like, do we become? We would a, just sit here in stunned silence for we about become, an hour. Do we become a music station? Like, do we temporarily play country music, Maybe. like the original 9:60 a.m.? <laughs> Is that is that like the original? becomes our music director instead of our program director. Do we, do we play Conway Twitty and uh, Charlie Major and like like is that what we're doing? Like the original CFAC did. I That's don't know. That's just one of the questions for Wild Card Wednesday today. Will what does what does nine sixty become in the wake of an well, NHL I mean, cancellation? I've done it during lockouts before where they haven't been playing hockey, but we had the Calgary Hitmans, so they mm-hmm. kind of became one of the big things. And we talked about other stuff, but if every sport is canceled, we're screwed. What do we talk about? We're so screwed. There's nothing. Uh, it's Wild Card Monday uh, <laughs> for an entire hour. Uh, will they still play the goal horn at the empty NHL arenas? Mm. Uh. Maybe. That's a good question. I hope so. Uh, this Back playing Columbus. NHL games to an empty stadium. Coyotes and Panthers looking forward to the attendance increase. Ha ha! Hey, did you see Riley Smith's quote today? <laughs> yeah, he just straight up shreds Absolutely the Florida Panthers. Kicks the Florida Panthers in the teeth. God, I missed losing in front of all those fans for so many years. Boom! So nice to be in Vegas where things are nice and I win in front of people. Uh, inside the NHL is coming up between five and six o'clock tonight. It's all brought to you as always by our friends at Calgary Co-op. You'll find the best products from Western Canada down every aisle. Visit your local Calgary Co-op for the best. From the West. Pinder and Steinberg's underway on Sportsnet 960, the fan.
Welcome back to the program. It's Pat Steinberg along with you on the snow show this afternoon. And uh, as we move further into March, doesn't mean that there's uh, not still lots going on on the slopes. Let's welcome in Matt, Powder Matt from uh, RCR, the Resorts of the Canadian Rockies. He's our guest today on Snow Show. Matt, thanks for doing this, man. How are you? Hey, Pat. I'm doing great. I'm just getting in from uh, making some turns. Where uh, you're, uh, you're based in Fernie, right? Were you, uh, were you up at the hill? Well, actually, today I was uh, skiing at Kimberly, and we had some fresh uh, snow here. Beautiful time of the year. Spring, as you know, is long days and sunny apres. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and an opportunity to uh, still get out there and experience some of those RCR resorts and, and stay nice and close to home, right? Well, yeah, let's, let's, let's go in our back, have hashtag backyard, uh, take a staycation now for sure. And, you know, getting outside is uh, so healthy for you in so many ways. And, and you know, skiing social, uh, you can be just with your friend or family. You can uh, enjoy your turns, uh, just uh, what you'd have, uh, the whole slopes to yourself. Uh, we've got a month left of incredible uh, time. And, and you know what? We have winter still. I mean, we had fresh snow at Fernie, Kicking Horse, and Kimberly today. So conditions are, are still nice and condu- conducive for some, uh, for some good days out there, hey? Yeah, absolutely, and there's a lot of great events coming up, so it's uh, catch some exciting events. It's the perfect time, and with with these long hours, with, with sunny days, and uh, lots of fun stuff. And remember, all of these events happen in open-air plazas, no, no inside environments, so everybody can enjoy uh, the fresh air and and also enjoy really great times making turns on the slopes with their friends and family um some really highlights real quickly live yeah. music uh north star days march 28th in kimberly here uh there's a bunch of stuff planned great weekend to be here march 21st through 29th the whole week it's for alberta spring break so there's a ski day every day at nakiska with lots of fun things to plan and and you can and bring the whole family because uh tubing you can go snowshoeing and other activities and then we've got a list of other great events. Uh, Furnival, um, I want to mention for sure, April 11th, 12th, uh, Fernie's famous uh, event. It also has a, the powder pedal paddle and the, the Coca-Cola slope soaker on the Sunday. Um, Kimberly, April 4th, 5th, Spring Splash weekend. And you don't want to miss uh, even this week, uh, come, next coming weekend, uh, March 21st, 22nd, Kicking Horse. Every weekend is something going on, and that weekend is the bank slalom. Where uh, where can we find some more information on this, Matt? Well, everybody can go to skircr.com and then pick which resort they would like to click on the, the logo of the resort. Um, close by, Nikiska, a little bit more, uh, just far enough to get away, uh, Golden, uh, Kicking Horse, Kimberly, and Fernie. And real close, uh, people that may have canceled other vacations uh, still want to make sure they get time together, and, and this is a, a great drive-to destination uh, for that time. No doubt about it. Fernie's look. If you do day trips to Edmonton, do a day trip to Fernie instead. It's the the same amount of time, and uh, I'd I'd rather be in Fernie than Edmonton. No doubt about that. Uh, and where can we uh, where can we find you on Twitter, Matt? Because uh, your uh, your Twitter account's got a ton of good information as well. Well, trying to keep everybody posted, and thank you for that. At Powder Matt with two T's on Twitter and and Instagram. And uh, it's really, the forecast is incredible. And even when, I'd always check, when it's colder on the Alberta side, it's usually warmer in B.C., and it's a great time to get away. Yep, always warmer in Fernie. That's the best part about that place because you're a little further <laughs> south. You can, once, you get past, sure. once you get past that one uh, cut through the mountains, it's always a whole lot warmer in Fernie. So uh, I am uh, completely with and, you there. 
and there's lots of things to do in each of the towns. Uh, there's some great places to eat. Uh, there's lots of forest walking trails for getting out and snowshoeing. Cross-country skiing is still amazing right now. It, you know what? It is time to take this healthy uh, getaway and uh, really cherish and, and nourish what matters most and spending time with uh, your family and your, your closest friends. You can find Matt on Twitter and Instagram at PowderMatt or go over to SkiRCR.com for all the latest on the resorts of the Canadian Rockies. Spring, ba- spring break, lots of spring events going on right now. Outstanding stuff, Matt. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks, Pat. I'll see you on the patio. Okay, we all know there's a dark cloud hanging over the NHL right now, but there still is a game to play tomorrow. We'll check in with head coach Jeff Ward coming up next as Pinder and Steinberg continues. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Well, more breaking news from the sporting world coming down in the last 10 minutes or so. This from NCAA President Mark Emmert as we welcome you back to Pinder and Steinberg. He's Logan Gordon. My name is Pat Steinberg. I'll read this statement verbatim from the NCAA. Quote, the NCAA continues to assess the impact of COVID-19 in consultation with public health officials and our COVID-19 advisory panel. Based on their advice and my discussions with the NCAA Board of Governors, I've made the decision to conduct our upcoming championship events, including the Div 1 men's and women's basketball tournaments with only essential staff and limited family attendance. While I understand how disappointing this is for all fans of our sports, my decision is based on the current understanding of how COVID-19 is progressing in the United States. This decision is in the best interest of public health, including that of coaches, administrators, fans, and most importantly our student-athletes. We recognize the opportunity to compete in an NCAA National Championship is an experience of a lifetime for the students and their families. Today, we will move forward and conduct championships consistent with the current information and will continue to monitor and make adjustments as needed, end quote. So the NCAA tournament, March Madness, will not be as mad as usual because there will be no fans in the building for the men's and women's Div 1 basketball championships. That just coming down in the last 10 minutes. So they have not canceled March Madness, but uh, we will be watching March Madness in a few weeks with nobody in the stands in all of the regional spots. Craziness as that is by far. You asked the question, Logs, during the break, how many millions of dollars is being sacrificed and like literally hundreds of millions of dollars the NCAA is saying no to as they make this decision today. This is by far for me in the sporting world the biggest domino to fall so far. Uh, it's a huge tournament. Uh, you know how many people fill out brackets? How many people in those areas go to the games? I'm still gonna fill out a bracket. No, I know, I know, but you know what I mean. The yeah. attention that's drawn to it and all that sort of stuff uh, is crazy. And for them to just straight up just be like, nope, not taking the chance. Not none of the championship games, none of the games in this whole tournament. Not game, not couple games. The entire tournament, no fans, is a- another shock. I shouldn't be that surprised because. These things happen every hour right now, but it's still crazy to sit here and and honestly see that happen again, especially for a tournament of this magnitude and the financial repercussions to it and all that sort of stuff. And for the kids now that have to go out and play and go through an entire tournament without fans or uh, the potential championship game with no fans is something that is now a reality for them. Yep. That is the latest from the sporting world today. 
March Madness will be played without fans. It's crazy. My brother and his uh, fiance are uh, they were going to Los Angeles for uh, the Final Four, or I, I believe they were going down for Sweet Sixteen mm-hmm. uh, and Elite Eight games. I believe is is what the plan was. Well, that's canceled. Uh, Pinder was set to go to Palm Springs on vacation. That's canceled. Like, I mean, the, and I, I'm I'm not trying to sit here and say, oh, poor, poor. I'm just saying that, like, this is now starting to impact people's lives. Period. Vacations are getting canceled, mm-hmm. and 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 people who are not necessarily directly affected, like us here in Calgary. I don't, like I don't believe Saskatchewan's had a confirmed case yet. Nope. But if you had a vacation planned somewhere, if you're if you're from Sask and you were going to Palm Springs, well, you're not anymore, nope. right? Like, in, or or if you're from Calgary and you were going somewhere, I I was set to go to uh, Formula One in yeah. June. I have no idea if I'm going to. I'm not trying to complain or say poor me. No, by no means. I'm just saying that like it's a reality for a lot starting, of people. This now. is starting to have a a large impact on everyone, and that is that that is well beyond the actual human beings that have been affected by the coronavirus and that's the scariest part i mean some of the numbers that are out there as to how many people are uh, uh, eventually going to be infected by this thing like this i don't think that leagues i don't think that sporting bodies are overreacting one bit and and anybody who tells me that oh well the flu does this and this is craziness Sure, you can you can tell me that all you want, but I'm not going to sit here and say that the World Health Organization and the CDC and Health Canada and all of these groups of experts and these human beings who their job is to monitor this stuff, I'm not going to sit here and say, no, 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 they're just fear-mongering, this is nothing, and uh, we're overreacting. I don't know if we're overreacting. I don't, like, in a year from now... Are we going to be sitting here talking about this being a complete overreaction? Maybe. Maybe. I hope so, and I hope that's all this is, but I don't know. In a year from now, are we going to be talking about, look at how many people ended up being affected by this, and look at how much worse it could have gotten. Thank goodness we went well, down that that's, road, That's right? exactly where, where I sit down on this is, look, maybe you don't feel that coronavirus or COVID-19 is that serious of an infection or of something that you can get. To me, that's not the point. The point is... We, on the, when it comes to health and safety of everyone around you, and it's not just about you in this situation, it's about everyone around you and the spread of this sort of thing and stopping it from getting any further to people who could be affected by it and who could potentially die from it, always, always, always err on the side of caution. I would much rather Kelly tell me, look, stay at home for a couple of days because we just don't want this to spread around to anybody else because who knows, maybe if I got it, Pat, I'd be fine. This doesn't mean the person next to me is in the same situation or whoever else that it could go to. Just, you know, I think it's always harder and sometimes it's hard to to look outside of the the bubble that we're in as people and we have so much going on as people, but the bigger picture for me is so much more important in this sort of thing. And I, there was a couple of interesting texts on the text line at 960960. Uh, you're saying, I'm not shedding a tear about the NCAA losing money. And that, that's not the point. I'm not sitting here saying you should feel bad for the NCAA to lose money. But the fact of the matter is, is they're saying goodbye to a lot of revenue, right? They're taking a sacrifice away, uh, a, a financial stake away from themselves because they don't want to be part of spreading it and, and having this thing continue on. Right? Is it the best decision for them financially? No, but as far as 
the human race or people in America who are going to attend these events, it probably is the right decision. I, I'm i not going to sit here and argue with any of these sports no. leagues or other, like, I'm not going to argue with Coachella deciding to push it back to October. I'm not going to argue with the NCAA deciding to not have fans in buildings. That's the that's the news if you're just joining us. No fans in the buildings uh, for March Madness that just came down in the last 10 minutes. Uh, okay, well, it's, we're, we're kind of like... We're kind of doing two shows, right? Like we're like mm-hmm. trying to keep up on what's happening in the sporting world with COVID nineteen, but we're also trying to talk about tomorrow's game between the Flames and the New York Islanders. Which uh, will it mean anything when it's all said and done? I have no idea. Is but this the last game for who knows how long for the Flames? We don't know. We're also here to be a distraction. So let's get back to talking about hockey and only the hockey on the ice. Here's head coach Jeff Ward of the Calgary Flames, who spoke this morning and gave us an update on Travis Hamanick and Noah Hannafin. Well, Hamanick's ready to. He's been cleared, so you know we'll make a decision on him for tomorrow. Uh, Hannafin, I have not seen the training staff yet, so I don't have an update for you on what's going on there. Jeff, if all your defensemen were healthy, would you consider dressing seven or will you stick with six? Dress all eight. Let's go European. <laughs> Maybe play the ninth guy up front. <laughs> Is that something you would consider though, or would you stick with 12 and six? No, no, stick with 12 and six for sure. But it makes for some interesting decisions when they're all healthy for sure what is it what is it um, or what does it mean to the team when Johnny is playing as well as or what, what does it mean to the team um, nothing different than when any other top player on your team is playing well you know they affect the outcomes of hockey games obviously so um, when he's on top of his game, he has a tremendous effect on the outcome of a hockey game. So um, we don't expect anything different from any of our other top players. We expect them to come and play. And uh, when they're, at, they're playing their best, then the outcome for us is usually positive. I mean, at this time of year, you need your best players to be your best players. And, you know, he's certainly been one of our best players. Does he seem to be a little more emotionally engaged? At this time of year, right now. Then, then September, or yeah, then September. Um, the, there's two instances. Obviously, his goal in Florida. He was really pumped up after that. Um, he was really not happy after the the tough loss against Vegas. Um, those those things are those more signs that he's a little bit more emotionally engaged. Does he is the care factor even higher than perhaps it was at the beginning of the year? Uh, well, he's always cared. Like, he's not a guy that uh, he's not a guy that doesn't care. The most important thing to him is that the team wins. Um, but I think now the fact that you know there's no when things weren't going as well as he would have liked earlier, you know, there's obviously there's some some frustration that goes along with that. And when you're playing well and confidence is high, then there's no frustration. So, uh, you know, I think sometimes it's. Uh, the emotional attachment to a game when you're going well is is obviously more positive than when you're not going well. So for him, uh, the emotional engagement has been really, really good um, for a while now. And as a result, you know, he's playing with confidence and he's producing. Yeah, Milan Lucic seemed to really drag your team into the fight against the Golden Knights on Sunday. I thought he played a great game. 
Has his role as a leader grown as the season has gone on? Because even watching practice, he seems to leave the stretch almost every day. Well, he's always, you know, he's been a leader since he's come here. Um, but this is, you know, this is his time of year. I mean, he understands what it takes at this time of year. He's been through all the wars. You know, he's lifted the Stanley Cup at, at the end of the journey. So, you know, he knows exactly what's going on. Uh, when you have players like that, you know, they, uh, they relish playing at this time of year. So I don't know if he's done anything different. Um, I just know that he's able to stay extremely focused because he understands exactly what is required. Coach, you've got teams that are having to, like an NBA team has to play front of fans tonight. And it seems like this whole thing is changing hour by hour. Are you paying attention to it or do you try to block it out all this outside noise? No, I mean, I'm not really paying attention to it. You know, I, we trust that the people that are going to make the decisions will protect everybody uh, in our league. Um, and so when it comes time to do something like that, um, you know, we'll, we'll obviously go with it. But until then, you know, there's no, we're not thinking about it at all. You know, it's for us, it's business as usual. And, you know, that's something, again, that, you know, we really can't control. So we're not putting too much energy into thinking about it. Jeff, we always talk about this idea of peaking at the right time. One of the things the standings be the ultimate measure, but one of the biggest indicators you look for that your team is embracing this race as opposed to stressing about Well, it's how, <clears throat> you know, how well you're prepared on a daily basis. Um, you know, how, how high your compete level is. Um, are you dialed into your execution? Uh, a lot of those things will give us an indicator that you know we're we're embracing this time of year, as opposed to fearing it or being nervous about it. So um, those will be the, the areas where we start, obviously. Um, and then the last thing is the details in our game. You know, if we're if we're on top of the details, so those those three three or four things would be it for me. Was that something that perhaps was a little bit different from last year going into that final month, knowing that you did pretty much lock up first and that there was a bit of a lull compared to the competitive nature now? Has that been a big boost for yourself? What you've seen from compared to last year in the last final month, what are you seeing now? Well, I think it's, you know, we had, uh, it's a much different situation. I don't think where we were last year demanded that we needed to be desperate. You know, and so I don't think that we became as battle tested as maybe we needed to be over the last 22 or, you know, since probably game 60 on. Um, and this year it's different. I mean, the, the way that the standings are and how close it is, it demands that we need to be desperate and we need to be on top of our game, you know, every time that we play. So two different situations, but it certainly can where we are now. It certainly will serve as more of a motivator than the way it was set up last year to, to be more desperate. Have you noticed your players feel that way or maybe even that sense of urgency across the board? Oh, you can see it, yeah. I mean, from last year at this time to this year at this time, yeah, you, there's, definitely a, there's definitely a change. One thing uh, Johnny said uh, is he's been on a cons consistently with, uh, I guess, Monaghan and like home for a while. Do you think that's helped? this game as well, not as much movement around the line. Yeah, I mean, comfort is good, right? Uh, so the fact that he's, you know, we haven't ha haven't had to plug him in like in a variety of different places, um, 
probably is, you know, led to him having some consistency in terms of what's happening. I mean, uh, all players want to, you know, play with the same guys the majority of the time. They want to play with players they're comfortable with. Um, they want to play with guys they have success with, and certainly that trio is showing that they can have success together and they've been together for a while now, a couple of years, or the majority for a couple of years of time. So, yeah, I think it definitely, you know, breeds into confidence when you when you fit together with people and you fit together well and you know where each other's going to be, it makes it easier for sure. And at the same time, uh, I think he's played over 20 minutes a couple of times recently. Um, how important is it for you to, I guess, plug him in or get him a little extra ice time when he's going? Oh, when players are going, you want to get them extra time. Uh, so it definitely helps. But, you know, you take a look at the take a look at the top teams in the league. They're four line teams. You know, so you know, we need to you know, we need to have all four lines going. But when players like him are going, you know Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi. It's Wednesday, which has meant for the last number of weeks, we've got our boy Mike in studio from Hudson's, and uh, that is no different. Mike is with us from Hudson's because tonight is the final Hot AF Wings Challenge at all three Hudson's locations, Crowfoot, downtown and Shaughnessy join me and Will Nault at Shaughnessy tonight we'll uh, be there hosting the final hot AF wings challenge there it's kind of a a bittersweet day hey yeah thanks for having me again uh it's uh what six weeks in almost mm-hmm. all together here and uh some great stories already at Shaughnessy and our, our other two locations but uh super excited for the last night now, can you introduce me to uh, who you have brought? Because you brought friends with you today. So who have you brought with you today? Yeah, we brought a couple of our staff members that uh, were willing to do the challenge on air today. So we have Corey uh, and Brooklyn from Shaughnessy. Now, you guys are both bartenders at Shaughnessy, right? Yeah. Yep. So I've heard that of the two of you, Brooklyn, you've done this before. So this is not, this is your, like you've done all 10 wings and you crushed the death wing. You got it. Like so- I said, I'm a veteran, not a rookie. Let's go. Corey's the rookie. Corey's definitely the rookie. Absolutely. But I'm ready to crush this. How like terrified are you? Not at all. I no, think, I think you're all right. with spicy oh. stuff? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, there you go. Put Give some, some more sauce. Yeah. yeah. All right. There, there we go. go. All right, now, maybe now I might be a little bit terrified. We'll see. <laughs> it's radio, but uh, Mike just poured some of the hot AF sauce on there. So here is the rule, and both Brooklyn and Corey are going to go through the whole challenge. I'll even get the timer ready. There you go. Um, so the whole challenge is you go to Hudson's, you sign up at any one of the three locations. You've got two minutes to finish an order of ten hot AF wings. And if you do that, you or even if you give it the old college try, you get free wings for a year and you're going to get the T-shirt. If you've completed it, you get the T-shirt, right? Yeah, that's right, for sure. If you complete it, you also get the opportunity to try the death wing. If you do the death wing just once, then you're going to get the limited edition pin, and you get the invite into the year-end party, which is this Friday at all three locations. you got all-you-can-eat wings. You've got some special uh, breweries coming down. Like It's going to be a party on Friday. Yeah, it should be a really good time. Uh, we had over 50 people completed already, plus today, which it seems like the big uh, big guns are coming out for the last uh, – last couple of days here so should have about 70 people plus their guests in there um, a big wing buffet uh, we have big rock and good mood brewery down sampling some beers for us so should be a really good time uh 
you have brought some Pepto-Bismol, I see. We've got the full wings. Oh, you've some got some Tums, tums as well, idea, some yeah. Kleenex. There's napkins. You've got the wet naps. The rules are for the two minutes, you can't touch your, uh, can't touch your, can't face. Touch your face. You can't lick your fingers. Um, so are you guys ready to go? No water, no drinks. Are nope. you guys ready to go? Ready to go. So we've got, we've got Brooklyn in pink and Corey in blue. Are you guys ready to rock and roll? Because your timer starts in five, four... Three, two, one, go. So uh, the play-by-play, Corey and Brooklyn are crushing these hot AF wings, and they're starting. Brooklyn's already done it once, and uh, Corey is doing this for the first time. Brooklyn's got one, one down, down already. D- very ladylike, too, like tossing mm-hmm. the hair oh, back, yeah. but like <laughs> isn't really she all She wasn't that joking about. about the not being a rookie thing. Uh, that Corey's was got one down. Corey's got one down. Um Again, you don't have to do the Hot AF Wings Challenge. You can just come to Hudson's on Wednesdays, even if it's not during uh, the Hot AF Wings Challenge. Corey is starting to struggle. Uh, and you can still do All Day Wing Wednesday. they got the nine flavors, and it's always a good party at all three Hudson's so, locations. Yeah, so to notice what's going on in front of us right now, Brooke is maintaining a steady pace. She's not affected by the heat. Corey has slowed down a bit, I'm assuming, because of the heat. In fairness, there was more... Um, yeah, in fairness, his boss just tossed a bunch of sauce on his wings <laughs> and was like, all right, well, you get to eat these now. So, what are we doing here? Brooklyn's only got four left. Corey's got it's about... not even affected by it. Corey's it's got a little about, bit ridiculous that she's in this challenge. Corey's got about seven left. I don't know if he's going to do it. Uh, you guys got 50 seconds left. So, Mike, would you say that Corey's done uh, the college try so far? Oh, yeah. He's, he's happy with this? If oh, yeah, he's, he's getting free wings tonight. for a year for sure. For as, long, that. as long as you're not just like having a bite and then tapping yeah. out, you're good. As long as you give it, as long as you're clearly suffering, yeah. then I think you're okay. As long as, yeah. We've also got Caitlin. As long as your day's been ruined in some form or another, then we're happy. We've also got Caitlin in here from Hudson's, and she is live streaming this right now. So this is on uh, Hudson's Instagram. Is yeah, that uh, there we go, yeah. IG right now if you'd like to go check it out? Uh, Brooklyn continues to crush it. Um, Mike, there's a text on our fan feedback line. Is someone's interested in doing 10 Death Wings instead of the 10 Hot AF? So they've already done the death wing, but needs an excuse to get out of the house. Is that legal? Is that something Hudson's would allow someone to possibly do? Yeah. Five seconds. If they want to punish themselves that much, I'm into it. I think Brooklyn's oh. going to... Oh, Brooklyn is in under the wire. She did it. Corey, you can stop eating now. You don't have to yeah, continue Corey, you don't torturing have to. yourself. Good job. That Very was really good job. well done. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to lie. Brooke came in here... Borderline caught. <laughs> Borderline to the degree of I didn't believe her. She uh, was very right and very good at doing that. How uh, how are we feeling, guys? How are you doing, Brooklyn? I told you it's a constant stream of tears, but it's fine. You know, it's a natural it's body fine. reaction. It's a constant, yeah. Yeah. I'm fine when I'm crying, too. That's yeah, you, a you look thing. fine. Yeah. Right? Do I look, yeah. how, how good do I look? Corey, yeah. Corey's like, I'm going to finish it. He's like, I respect Corey for going in for the finish here, despite That's, being past the You time. know what? Like, it's one of those scenarios where, like, you know that you've already been beaten in the race, but yeah. you're, you're like, I want to finish. I want to get to the finish line and prove to myself that I can do it. That is, uh, you get around yeah. Applause for Absolutely. that as well. Uh, Corey, how are you feeling? With uh, how's your how's your mouth doing? Oh, it burns. <laughs> <laughs> was it worse than you thought it was going to be? Like considerably worse than you thought it was going to be, or uh, with extra sauce? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, <laughs> yeah. pretty good. <laughs> 
What now? Are, is anybody going to do the death wing? Is that uh, is that on? Like you don't have to. Well, we're out of wings now, so I can't I can't do that's it. I don't good think. Point. Yeah, that's yeah, fair. No point. Too bad. Unfortunately, yeah. I'm going to crack yeah. this open. Uh, going for the Pepto. <laughs> Brooklyn's doing the Pepto now, because um, that would be very good for your insides right now. And Corey's going for the wet nap. Uh, so, Mike, how would you say that these two did? You've seen like you've seen the pay. I've seen guys go down there and just absolutely murder it, and I've <laughs> seen guys go down there and like they do two and they tap out like I would do. Uh, how would how did these two do? That's uh, that's pretty much the upper echelon of uh, some of our competitors there. Most people don't even make it that far, so they did they did a really good job. Especially Corey with the extra sauce on there. Uh, he actually started speeding up after you uh, told him that Brooklyn was ahead of him. So I think he uh, he did pretty there, good trying to do There's a little it. added pressure here, being live on the air, and we're pressuring you that much more in the haunts of lounge here. So yeah. Corey absolutely picked up the pace and finished strong. Now, Brooke, you are going to be down there today. You'll yes. be one of the uh, you'll be one of the ladies in the referee jerseys. You're going to be pressuring people into doing that. Or no doing this, is right? not an answer. I'm going to accept tonight. Okay. It's a yes or hell yes. Okay. <laughs> There's Perfect. no no allowed. Uh, Corey, if you can make it into work, will you be there tonight as well? <laughs> You'll be behind the bar? I'm not going to be behind the bar. <laughs> I'm, I'm semi-retired. Okay. 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 Yeah. Um, Mike, are you excited for the final one? Are you excited for our, uh, our final Hot AF Wings Challenge tonight? Can't wait. I think it's going to be the busiest one yet. I think we're going to have you know competitors right till 10 p.m. trying to squeeze it in for the last day. Um, and can't wait to see how many fi how many people finish it today. Tell us about the party on Friday. Friday, so starts at uh, 8 p.m. Uh, we're inviting everybody down, so we're going to contact you today if you complete it um, and get you signed up. We have a bunch of free wings, as many as you can eat. Uh, well, I hate to say that because I really hope people don't go for like 10 <laughs> orders, but um, as <laughs> all-you-can-eat wings. Um, you're going to help yourself, too. We have the guys from Hungry Volcano coming down with some not-so-hot sauces. Um, not as hot as this guy, but this guy will still be available there. And then uh, some of their other great ones, and then we have the two breweries down um, doing some sampling. Um, and then uh, games throughout the night, lots of fun going on, some some competitions. We have our hosts coming in that night as well, doing some trivia. Um, just cause it should be a good night all, all together. Uh, Corey, how you feeling? You look oh, like you're struggling. I'm struggling. It's, it, I knew it would be worse after, and I was totally right. Brooke, I got to do this. Brooke, Brooklyn. Uh, is, does, it, okay, is, is that your dad's that, number? Does that phone number look familiar to you? That's my dad. <laughs> hey, dad. What's up? Yeah, <laughs> hey, dad. That was, so I want to make sure that dad has made it. We got, we got a text that says, shout out to my daughter, Brooklyn. Boom. Fist pound. So your dad's listening. That's a proud dad moment, right? Brooklyn crushed it, dad. Absolutely. She's a really good job. Uh, thanks for doing that, guys. Thanks, thanks for coming, Mike. We'll see all of you guys tonight. Yes. Uh, at Shaughnessy. Get to Hudson Shaughnessy, Hudson's Downtown, or Hudson's Crowfoot for the Hot AF Wings Challenge. And uh, I have got a, uh, you know what? I've got yeah. a $50 gift card Ooh. to give away to Hudson's right now at 960-960. I need your first and last name on the text, and uh, I need you to get the trivia answer correct. At 960-960, here is your trivia question. Travis Hamanick looks like he will return to action tomorrow night for the Flames against the New York Islanders. I need to know, what Western Hockey League teams did Travis Hamanick suit up for? What Western Hockey League team? Tinder and Steinberg continues. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Congratulations to Wyatt. Wyatt is our winner of the trivia question just before the break. I asked you for a $50 gift card at Hudson's. 
What two Western Hockey League teams did Travis Hamanick play for? The answers being he spent most of his time with the Moose Jaw Warriors before moving on for a little bit of time with the Brandon Wheat Kings as well. So the answer was Moose Jaw and Brandon. Congratulations to Wyatt. He is uh, going to be getting our $50 gift card from Hudson's. Our promotion staff will be in touch. And Wyatt's already been texted, so... He knows he's the winner. If you have not been texted and already responded to me, uh, then you are not the winner, even if your name is Wyatt. Um, Johnny Gaudreau playing some pretty good hockey right now. Mm -hmm. And I believe that this Flames team needs Johnny Gaudreau to be the most dynamic offensive player on the team if they want to be the high-end group that they strive to be. And I'm not sure even with Gaudreau if they're going to get to that level this year, but I do know that they need to have their top offensive player playing like the most dynamic player on the team for them to be an elite group. And for essentially the entire first half of the season, that was not the case with Gaudreau, but it started to it started to go in a much better direction. So, since the calendar turned from 19 to 20, Johnny Gaudreau has 28 points in 27 games. That's a whole lot closer to the type of production we're used to when it comes to Gaudreau. And since he returned on a line with Elias Lindholm and Sean Monahan, 16 points in 15 games. So he's at 27 and 28 since January 1st, and since February 8th when he was put back with Lindholm and Monahan. He was always with Monaghan, but since Lindholm was put back on that line, 16 points in 15 games. And I think that him turning back into or returning to the type of high-end dynamic form or closer to that is one of the bigger developments of this season for the Flames and, and one of the bigger improvements and most important improvements on the team because – there's nobody on the Flames that has game-breaking, elite-level offensive talent that can turn a game no. on its side other than Gaudreau. And he wasn't doing that for the first half of the season. And on top of that, it's not like his defensive game was great. Defensively, he's never going to be looked at as a shutdown winger. No. He's never going to be a guy that you want out there uh, protecting leads and being that guy. However... You can get around his defensive shortcomings. You can live with him being not so great in his own end if he can be the dynamic guy that he has always been offensively. And of late, we're seeing that again. That's, that's a huge development for this team. It really is because I think that the, the whole team as a whole, when you talk about the depth and the, you know, the being able to roll four lines or three and, you know, two three quarters line whatever you want to put it however you see the lines here in Calgary that that just flows so much better for me when the first line is the offensive threat and it's being pushed by Johnny and they're getting that sort of production from Johnny because while I think that the Backlund, Kachuk, and Manjapani line can provide offense. I think they do other things really well, and they they help this team in other areas. And I don't think that any one line on this team is, it can be asked to be a consistent scoring threat, except for that first line. Whether that's you know them taking the majority of the offensive draws, or you know staying away from them defensively, this team needs 
to have that offensive drive because they don't have it everywhere else. They get their scoring from different areas. So if Johnny can be that guy who leads them in that way and, you know, is that front-of-the-pack guy for them that they've always hoped, and he, that's the guy he's been most of his time here in Calgary, the whole team just flows better for me and the depth is so much better for them. And then when you get the guys scoring like Manjapani and Kachuk or uh, Dylan Dubé line back and all that sort of stuff, well, since it's just that, so much better for this team and they're more successful. Since that change and since Lindholm went back with Gaudreau and Monaghan and since Backlund went back to the middle between Kachuk and Manjapani, uh, Backlund's also actually this team's leading scorer since mm-hmm. February 8th. And, and I think that you know sometimes you hear these stats like, well, since random date, this player is here. Okay, those are a little cherry-picked, but this one from a flame standpoint is less cherry-picked because it was a significant switch and shift in terms of the way they were structuring their lines and the way this coaching staff was structuring the team. So since that point, since February 8th, the game in Vancouver, Michael Backlund's got 21 points in 15 games. Matthew Kachuk has 18 points in 15 games. And Johnny Gaudreau has 16 points in 15 games. Like, the best players on this team have responded. They went to the coaching staff uh, and, you know, Jeff Ward brought players in, had meetings with his guys and said, okay, what are we going to do here? And Gaudreau said, we want Lindholm back on our line. And Monaghan said, we want Lind- uh, Lindholm back on our line. And mm. Backlund said, I want to go back to center. And Jeff Ward said, I need you to be better if we do this. And yeah. they said, we want to be better. Well, so far so good. At, at least production-wise, that has been the case. And certainly the Backlund line has been bonkers strong. Yeah. Gaudreau, I think, has held up his end of the bargain. Lindholm, for the most part, has as well. I'm, I'm not as big on where Monaghan's game is right now and has been since that whole shift. But certainly Gaudreau has been a whole lot more productive. And, and that's that's what Gaudreau is going to be judged on. You're never going to be judging Gaudreau on his 200-foot game or his defensive game. No. You're judging him on being a high-end elite offensive talent, and he's been a whole lot closer to that over the last month or so. Yeah, and I think I don't think that even in a, as a general whole that we you, you always judge guys like that on, on two ends. If Johnny's scoring and being a threat like that, the overlook as the defensive lapses, you know, you just kind of – you throw that to the side because it's it's marginal compared to what he's producing for you offensively, right? If he's always getting offensive zone starts and, and producing on a, a close-to-nightly basis like he's done through most of his career, he's not going to see those defensive situations nearly as much. He's not going to need to find ice time in other ways because he's he's getting the job done in the way that he's wanted to. And Look, the Flames' lines right now are going to look very similar – to where we were last year at the same spot, you know, with a name or two changed, a Dubé in there, a Lucic in there, you know, more bottom six guys. Manjapani is the one name that slides into the top six differently. So if the Flames want different results than what how last year ended, it's generally going to be the same guys as last year that have to do it. Let's hear from Johnny Gaudreau, who spoke to the media this morning and was asked about his play of late and, and how he's feeling over the last month or so. You know, our line, uh, you know, we're building a lot of chemistry here. It's nice to get back playing with Lindy and me and Monty. I have some, you know, a friendly face. Uh, you know, played with him a lot last year. So, um, But personally, I think, uh, you know, we're doing a good job in the D zone, um, being smart, uh, you know, not being a liability on the ice and, you know, playing a lot more in the offensive zone, which is making us play a lot more in the offensive zone. And um, I think we're getting, you know, 
I was always getting looks, but uh, you know they're, you know I think we're getting one or two extra looks each game from us not being in the D zone as much, and uh, you know they're leading to some goals. I think we were averaging uh, pretty close to a point per game even since December. Um, you mentioned not being a liability on the ice. Was it a tough start for you, and was that frustrating? And and how how important is it for you to obviously be? Uh, more than just a contributing player with your position. Yeah, uh, the beginning of the season was uh, was crazy to say the least. I mean, with everything going on, I feel like I had new line mates. You know, every week. You know, it's it's hard to you know build some chemistry and, and you know play the right way, play on the offensive zone, and do all the little things right when you know you're switching in and out with guys and. Um, you know, not sure who you're playing with next game or where you're going to be playing, what side, left or right. So, um, you know, when you have that stability of just, you know, left side, you know, playing with two players you feel really comfortable with, I mean, uh, it's only going to help your game. Johnny, you were just talking about how tight the standings are. How, how do you approach it? Like, is it stressful to see that? Is it exciting? How do you approach it? Yeah, I think it's fun. Um, feels like we're already in playoffs and, uh, you know, we're, we're just fighting for our lives right now. You know, just try to stay in uh, stay in the playoffs here. I mean, uh, you look below us, there's two, three, four teams right there. So um, it's a big month for a lot of teams. And, uh, you know, we play a couple of those teams a few times, um, you know, in that month too, I think. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Enjoy it. Um, and, uh, you know, it'll make you a better player. What, what gives you the most I think, uh, I don't know, I think last year was a little different. You know, we were kind of just going through the motions. We were already in first place, Pacific Division. You know, we already knew we were in playoffs, and uh, I think that kind of sat with us in playoffs last year and kind of just went into it nonchalant a little bit. And, uh, you know, this year, we're, you know, we're battling for playoffs. We, every game's important. You know, we have to play our best each and every night, and I think that's going to really help us as we move into April and hopefully into playoffs. Does it tend to be a little harder to get penalty calls in the playoffs? Do you feel like the referees are almost starting to call games like that now? Yeah, I mean, uh, we've definitely seen a little bit of a decline in our power play opportunities. Um, haven't has have haven't had as much um, in the past uh, past month here, I think. So maybe I don't know. Um, probably should maybe ask a ref. I'm not positive, but. Uh, yeah, maybe they're cracking down a little bit, get ready for playoffs. On that note, the way the game's played right now, near the end of the season, just that tight defense. As an offensive player, do you just expect to get you know, less chance or have to make more of those opportunities, the better ones you get as far as offensive opportunities? Yeah, I think uh, you know every every offensive opportunity or every chance is, is crucial, and um, you can see how much tighter teams play when it's this time of the year. So. Um, when you do get your looks and you do get your opportunities, um, you know you got to bury because you know you don't get a lot of them towards this towards this uh, time of the year. Johnny, have you wrapped up uh, your game a little bit uh, emotionally as well? Um, I know you've always been an emotional player, but there's two two instances that were pretty noticeable. Um, your goal in Florida, which you explained uh, quite well, why you were so pumped up after that, and actually after the last game, you were pretty um, visibly upset at the end of the game. Um, have you ramped up your your uh, 
I guess your game emotion wise too? Is, are you pumped, a little bit mm -hmm. more pumped up at this crucial time of year? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's more pumped up. I mean, it's just fun being around the rink, being around the locker room this time of the year when you're so close to, you know, playoffs. But I think with those two incidents, I think just, you know, it was a special special moment in Florida. And then looking back at the Vegas game, I mean, we're a minute away from going to overtime, getting a point, And, you know, they get a goal off a of deflection. And then, you know, we don't capitalize on the six on five. And you know, those are really important points. And... You know, that, I mean, it obviously gets the best of you sometimes, but, you know, when you're that close and you're that close to getting a point or two points, it's, uh, it's frustrating sometimes because it is this time of the year. So, Is it important to show you care? Um, I, don't, I don't, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't think it matters if anyone sees. I mean, I would rather no one see, but, um, you know, try to keep that out of my game. But, um, you know, at times at this time of the year, I mean, I'm sure a lot of guys were frustrated on that bench. Um, I'm sure you saw, and maybe the cameras weren't on, weren't on other guys, but I'm sure a lot of guys were pretty frustrated at, at that moment because, you know, we did battle back from a 3-0 three, three deficit, tie it up 3-3 three, three with, what, three, two, two, three minutes left, and they get a, you know, a heartbreaker there with, with a minute left, and we got to battle back on 6-5, on five, so. That is Johnny Gaudreau as he spoke to the media today, playing much better and, and seems to be a whole lot more emotionally engaged as well. That is 100% good news for the Calgary Flames. Well, our final junior reporter game is coming up at the end of the season. The April 4th game, Battle of Alberta, Flames-Oilers. You've got an opportunity for your son or daughter to come be our junior reporter and uh, be a part of Calgary Flames Radio. Here's the deal. We're looking to hire a rookie reporter who will uh, be a part of our broadcast, get a behind-the-scenes tour of the Dome, and also get a pair of lower bowl seats to that game between the Flames and the Oilers. Get to come on Flames Radio with me during one of our uh, during the period, break down the game, tell us what that uh, what your son or daughter is seeing. It's a pretty cool opportunity, and we've done this twice already this season. Here's our final opportunity. Go to sportsnet.ca slash 960 to enter. It's all brought to you by South Trail Hyundai. Go to southtrailhyundai.com or visit Facebook and Instagram for the South Trail Hyundai experience. Well, I kind of feel like I'm I'm in the middle of an origin story. I feel like we're in the middle of the the first season of The Walking Dead when they're kind of showing how the apocalypse all started. That's what it feels like right now with what is happening. I say it in jest, but what I do know is that we need a little levity. We need a little distraction. That's what we're here for. It's and true. up next... We're going to distract you with me being awkward. It's time for Wild Yay. Card Wednesday. That's around the corner on Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right. We need a little levity here on the program. Travel bans shutting down and you now there's nothing better for the uh, prevention of the spread of a pandemic than being in a smoky casino like we are right now the wild card wednesday casino breathe is in, open Patrick. for business breathe it in breathe oh in. uh we got pat steinberg and logan gordon along with you here from the scotia bank saddledome riley pollock is with us back in our basement systems downtown studio we have got five different categories for you on the slot machine. Those categories are pop culture, personal life, 
career, sports, and wild card. We're going to pull the slot machine, yep. and uh, it's going to land on one of those five categories. And one person will ask a question, and then all three of us will answer. I think that uh, this is exactly what we need on COVID-19 Apocalypse Day 3. This is what's going to happen when all the sports leagues shut down, Pat. It's going to be nonstop personal talk here on 960. Or country music. I haven't yeah, decided yet. Yeah, you haven't decided yet. Uh, let's get to it. I'll take the uh, first spin. Let's do it on Wild Card Wednesday today. As long as it's not career. That's what I have to career. I Sports. Want. I can deal Damn with that one. Sports. Um, I need a non-NHL city that would absolutely kill it if an NHL team were there. Give me a non-NHL city that would be a hit if they had an NHL team. Hmm. Do you, do you have one, Riles, or do you want me to? I got one. I'm, if you take the one that I go, think Riley, you're going to take. Go, Riley. Go, 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 go. It would be Saskatoon. That place would uh, have an unreal fan base, I think. If Winnipeg can have a team and have their fans that crazy, I think Saskatoon can do just as well. They just brought the rush in, and they have absolutely blown up in this city. You got Ryder fans there that are the most diehard sports fans in the country. I think the Saskatoon Spartans would be a diehard fan base. Now, they need to have a new rink. Like, that place yeah. is not NHL standards. Well, so they, and it's they, so far from the actual city. It'd be, I feel like it'd be like an Ottawa situation. I couldn't believe how far from Saskatoon. When I, when I went and called the Rush Roughnecks game out there a couple of years ago, I could not believe how long it took to get. I didn't like. I didn't think Saskatoon was this big. I like. They have highways here. I wasn't even sure. Oof. So uh, I could like. It took like twenty minutes from downtown or longer to get out to to where like you know. And and you're used to that in Calgary, but you're like you know Saskatoon's a significantly smaller city. You'd think that just having it smack dab downtown would be the way to go. Um, it's amazing that the rush draw as well as they do, knowing how far out that that building is. Well, and it's. Like, definitely the province's number one place to go for bands and concerts and stuff like that, too. Like, and it is hell getting out of the parking lot there. Like, you can sit in that parking lot after a game. There's only one road out, really. And it's, like, a two-hour wait if you're, like, deep in the parking lot. It's, it's a terrible rink. And I agree that they would have to build a new barn probably downtown somewhere if they wanted an NHL team. Logo, what's your, uh, what's your answer? I'm going to say with Seattle coming in and creating a regional rivalry with Vancouver, uh, the, the, a, t a city that should have maybe still have hockey, uh, I think Quebec City would be uh, where I'd like to see an NHL franchise. Uh, the I think the hockey fans in Quebec and Eastern Canada would uh, populate a Montreal-Quebec City rivalry again, and it would be nice to uh, see another Canadian franchise out there. That's, that's where I would go, I think. I've got two for you. You talked about the regional rivalry. Uh, I think if you added one more Pacific Northwest team, it would be outstanding. I think if you were to go Seattle, Vancouver, and then a little further south into Portland, I think Portland would eat the NHL up. They've got a great hockey culture already with the Winterhawks having been there. Uh, I think the NHL would be outstanding in the city of Portland. Uh, they've only got the one professional uh, mm -hmm. sports team there right now in the Trailblazers, so I think they could eat. Like, it's a big-time city. Portland is not small. No. So you could easily support an NHL team in Portland. Now, I, I, I do think they would have to – 
work on the rink and all that type of stuff. They'd probably need to um, they'd probably need to upgrade. I, I don't really know um, how the fit would be for the NHL in the, the Rose Garden where the Trailblazers play. I don't know about those things, but Portland's a big enough city. Population, I'm just checking it right now. So population right now, the uh, metro area is 2.5 million people, and the census-designated area is 3.2 million people. So, so you're, enough there. you're drawn from a, a big group of people. So I, I think Portland would work. And the other spot um, that I, I really uh, think that would actually work, even though it would never happen, but and this is this is just being um, I, I'm a little biased to this spot, but I honestly think that if you were to build an NHL caliber arena in downtown Boise, Idaho, it would be an absolute smash. The city's city's big; it's about two hundred thousand people. The metro area is about eight hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand people, and they like that is a that is a good sports town. They support mm. everything they've got. They've got their big college. They've got the ECHL team there. Um, like they, they've got their their baseball team, which they support in the the uh, short season league, the same league the Vancouver Canadians play in. I think uh, I think Boise, Idaho, would be a sleeper good spot for an NHL team. It would never happen. But I think it would be pretty good. I like all those. All right, who's going next? Logan or Riles? Riles, why don't you take a spin? All right. Personal life. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. This one, I didn't have as much fun with this one as other ones where I haven't uh, actually got personal life picked. But uh, if you could have any animal as a pet, what pet would you have? Of any animal as a pet. Now, is this within reason, or am I allowed to apply Can like things like here? this thing doesn't maul me to death when it grows up? Like, yeah, like to... you raise it from birth, and it most likely won't murder you. Any animal, though. Oh, I'm like going a full, full blown male lion. Like, I want that thing in my in my apartment. It. Well, no, we have a guarantee that it won't maul me. He said me. most likely. By the way, that's not a guarantee. Can I have a guarantee that it won't maul me, Riles? Yes, but and, yeah. And it won't maul yeah. my, any of my family members or friends either? <laughs> yeah, it's perfectly um, trained and uh yeah, it will not murder. Yeah, Maybe other animals. Have you ever seen that uh the video of like the lion whisper? When he goes back and uh, all of a sudden these lions are like mauling him, but in a friendly, cute way, and he's like scratching their necks and they're licking him. Like uh, that's that's my dream. I wanna I want uh, a lion, and uh, hmm. his his name will be Aslan, just like in Aslan, uh, just like in the Chronicles of Narnia. So that uh, that is what I choose. You cannot talk me down from that. Lion, a lion. Well, if if I'm if I've been given the guarantee by Riley that this thing won't maul me, I think I'd probably, although he'd be a massive inconvenience, but I guess I don't really care if I have one. <laughs> I'd probably like a, I don't know, like a bear would be sweet to have, like just a grizzly bear. Uh, if he's not gonna like, like I said, I'm very concerned about the mauling in this whole thing. But <laughs> if I've gotten Riley's concern out of the way that he's not gonna maul me, I think it'd be sweet to have a bear. I've seen. Uh, I think I think it was an animal planned or something like that. Some shows where they've rehabbed cubs that have had their moms uh, shot or something by hunters or something like that, and they can be pretty friendly towards humans. Of course, that's before they're you know a thousand pounds and need to eat flesh every day. But um, I think it'd be sweet to have a bear. I think if I if I get to live the extravagant life of uh, having a pet that won't kill me and 
What kind of bear? A grizzly bear. Oh, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Oh, if you're going to have a bear, you don't want a small yeah, one. Yeah, you don't need a like soft. A koala or something. Give me the biggest bear yeah. I can get. Riley? Okay, I will give you the biggest bear you can get. Okay, no, well, if you can, <laughs> sure, why not? I was more interested in your answer, but that's fine. Um, yeah, my I want, like, a bush baby. Have you ever seen one of those bad boys? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I thought that was a Saskatchewan term for something different. No, it's a... Bush baby. Oh, there yeah. it is right there. It, They're so a, cute. It's like called the, a Galago. Yeah. It uh, got big eyes. It, like, jumps around and stuff, and I think it'd just be cool to walk around, like, downtown Calgary with it, and, like, it would just always be near me, on my person. There'd be no cages for this guy. Wherever I went, he would go, and, uh, yeah, I don't want a big, like, murdery animal. I think I just want, like, You said murder's a off friend. the table. Yeah, but they're still murdery. They just don't murder. Um, so yeah, that's that would be mine, I think. And they're little. Yeah, it'd be sweet. <laughs> you're a you're a complicated young man, Riley. I, yeah. I like to peel back the layers every every single time we do this. I like to find out more. It about It looks you. like a bigger version of a bat, almost. Yep, a little bit. Bat mixed with a meerkat. Yeah, kind, kind of. What of. It looks like. I, I don't mind that. Okay. All right. All right. Last uh, last spin goes to logo. What do we got? Let's do this. Dun, 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 dun. Career. Career. The worst category. It is. It's kind of tough because, like, at first I was going through this list yesterday and I had a couple of career questions and I was like, "What was the closest that you ever come to being fired?" And I'm like, "That's not a good one to do if Kelly's listening." Because um, that could really, really puts us in some bad spots. Um, so I, I went similar in a way to Pat. But the question for you two is, I guess for myself too, if you could do your current job in any city in the world, where would you go? I know. And, like, and it's, why? It's tough because I believe we've had that one before, but that's not your fault because – I don't um, do this regularly. Exactly. Um, but that's a, it's a good one. Um, I think – if I were to be able to do this job, like sports talk radio, yes, I think if I were to be able to do this job in any city, it would have to be one where you, I don't want it to be too big. Like I don't want New York, I don't want Chicago, I don't want. I don't think I want even L.A. I think I want like somewhere that you can talk about more than one sport. Like I'm thinking like Seattle, where you've got an NFL team, you've got a major league team, you're about to get an NHL team, probably the end, like Seattle would be a mm. good size. I think Denver would be pretty good. San Francisco, I think, would be solid. Somewhere in, in that range is what is where I would want to go. Um, Toronto, no. Vancouver's too, like, casual, and the fans are weird. And Walker's um, there. I'd, Walker's fine. It's the fans, and I'm like, Ugh, I don't know if I could deal with the – that's a – very angry group of fans in Vancouver. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Seattle as my spot. Rouse? Mm. Uh, I think Montreal would be mine. Uh, you know, Closet Habs fan over here. Love the city. Visited it a few times. Beautiful city, and uh, they're very passionate. And I just wish they liked their CFL team a little bit more there, like they used to. But, yeah, I think Montreal would be my number one destination to talk about sports. Okay. Yeah, I guess that would work. Can you speak French, though? Uh, I was working on it, but then I quit. That's a good point. Um, Because, like, there's only, like, the actual listening audience that can speak 
English or not that, that listen in English, not that they can speak English because like 70% of the population can speak it in some form or another, I believe. But like the actual English radio or English media market is so tiny in Montreal. Mm. The French media market is way larger than the English media market. So you'd have a, you'd have a nice monopoly because, uh, you, you know, if you can speak both languages, though, you're in a much better spot. It's, that's why I'm learning French. I want to move to Montreal. It's not true, but I am learning French very slowly. Fair. You? Uh, I was going to pick anywhere along. I, don't, I was going to say somewhere in California would be great for me just because of the variety of sports, and I'd love to live somewhere where it was sunny and warm for most of the year. The winters you know, seem to lag on here, and there's enough hockey and in California that I think I could I could survive if you gave me a place like San Jose or something like that where it's not quite the metropolis that, that L.A. is, but there's football somewhere nearby. There's basketball, baseball, a little bit of everything as far as, you know, things in the sporting world go would be cool, and it wouldn't hurt to live in a nice warm climate for most of the year either. So it's not very exciting, but I think that's probably where I would go with it. There is another edition of Wild Card Wednesday. This has been Wild Card Wednesday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Want to read you a release from the Columbus Blue Jackets that has just come down in the last 10 minutes or so. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets are aware of the governor of Ohio's announcement today that an order prohibiting mass gatherings in the state of Ohio is forthcoming. We have been in contact with the NHL regarding this matter and will abide by the state's mandate. Remaining home games while the order is in effect, including tomorrow versus Pittsburgh, will be played as scheduled, but with restricted attendance in compliance with today's announcement. Admission Mission to games will be limited to home and visiting club personnel, credentialed media and broadcast partners, essential club and arena staff, and NHL officials. The games will be closed to the public. The health and well-being of our community is our priority, and we appreciate the understanding of our fans, corporate partners, and guests under these extraordinary circumstances. Our, continue, our games will continue to be televised regionally in Columbus. The club will work with season ticket club and premium seat holders on appropriate refunds or credits for affected games, while single-game buyers will receive a refund through their point of purchase. The club will be communicating to season ticket holders, partners, and other affected parties with additional information soon. That just coming down from Columbus. So yesterday they said, ah, we're not doing this. No. Uh, now they are doing this. Mm. Uh as for um, Major League Soccer, they have postponed games in San Jose and Seattle because of what's going on as well. So, again, it's hour by hour. We're finding out new things that are happening in the sports world. That is just the latest. I've got a question about Johnny Gaudreau, among others, on our daily Calgary Flames roundtable. Derek Wills joins us around the corner here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pat Steinberg, Logan Gordon, along with you from our Better Business Bureau, Hot Stone Lounge at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Now Derek Wills joins us, the radio voice of the Calgary Flames, to complete our daily Flames roundtable. Gentlemen, it's like minute by minute, hour by hour. We're finding out new information about how 
sports is being affected by the spread and the preventative measures to stop the spread of COVID-19. The latest, the NCAA will be running the tournament without fans in buildings. The Columbus Blue Jackets will play their game tomorrow against the Pittsburgh Penguins with no fans in the building, and that's going to be happening indefinitely. We're still not sure what San Jose is going to do, and now we wait to see what other NHL, NBA cities are affected and what the leagues end up doing in response. Derek, this is a a changing, moving target story on seemingly a minute-by-minute basis, but uh, how is your gut feeling about how things are playing out right now? Well, it's tough to get a gut feel when things keep changing. Like you said, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second. Uh, It seems to just keep changing. Uh, Obviously, you hate to hear that uh, they're going to have to play a game with no fans in the building in Columbus tomorrow night. Uh, That's going to be weird. But I guess safety first, right? I mean, you've got to do what you can to make sure this thing doesn't spread anymore. I've got to be honest. I'm not overly concerned about it personally. And maybe I'm being naive. I'm not running to Costco trying to buy toilet paper or anything. I'm just doing what I can, washing my hands and making sure that uh, I'm not walking around coughing on people. Uh, It's crazy. It's unprecedented. And uh, hopefully they can uh, contain this sooner rather than later so we can uh, get back to business as usual here. But uh, you understand where teams and, and leagues and organizations are coming from uh, they don't want to to play a role in this thing spreading so better safe than sorry right yeah i'm i can't say i know which way it's gonna go because every few minutes it seems like it, it changes direction i don't know the extent that any of the leagues will will go to i'm it was already a big enough surprise to hear that the ncaa was going to go the entire march madness tournament without fans that's you know, something that we're talking about weeks in advance that we're already, uh, you know, shutting down for to the public. So it's concerning to a level because of the industry that we're in and that we cover all the time. And those events are the ones that seem to be quickly closing down and are not happening nearly as often. So from a selfish perspective, I wonder, you know, where exactly what we'll talk about if these sort of things don't happen. But, you know... From a human perspective, I think we live in a pretty safe area of the world right now. It doesn't seem like there's too much going on here in Alberta as far as things go, but it's a constantly changing landscape here, and it just kind of read and react as to what happens. Uh, I believe that there are five new cases of COVID-19 in Alberta. That has just come down in the uh, last little bit as well, so that would be the latest in that respect. Um, yeah, I guys, I, I don't know. Like, at this point, I am the, – the more that – this continues to play out the more i just feel like it is more and more likely that you know we see the nhl just take a preemptive strike and and shut things down for a little bit here like i i i I am i will be more surprised now if they don't do that than if they do if considering what we're seeing in different spots unless they say all games are going to be played without fans and buildings or I, i i just think that a very significant league-wide mandate is is going to be forthcoming in the next days, weeks, whatever it is. It, it won't surprise me one bit if. And you know what? It'll suck. It'll be strange. It'll be. But like, 
we're not talking about overreactions anymore. Like every sports league and every health organization isn't just having fun with this and saying, ah, yeah, we're going to just knee-jerk reaction and overreact and lose hundreds of millions of dollars. The NCAA is losing hundreds of millions of dollars by not having Mm -hmm. fans in in their – arenas and buildings for the tournaments for the Div 1 men's and women's tournaments. I I just I can't I can't sit here and believe that the NHL is just going to keep on rolling as normal. I am I'm, I'm expecting something whether it's indefinitely or for 2 weeks or 3 weeks or whatever. That's what I'm expecting here in the not so distant future. Yeah, and I guess that's I guess the one thing that causes some concern for me other than, you know, being concerned for the people who uh, have have this the coronavirus and uh, people that are family and friends of them that are worried that they're going to get it. I mean, obviously you're concerned for those people, but the, you know the fact that uh, that teams and leagues are shutting things down or are closing their buildings to fans that concerns me because I've like most people, I'm sure, read up uh, about coronavirus and tried to educate myself on it, but. I suspect, I suspect, as a matter of fact, I know that these teams and these leagues know more about it than I do, that most of us mm-hmm. do, and, and they're making the decisions to, to close buildings or to end seasons early, that sort of thing. So that is concerning. And, you know, I'm going to obviously have to do a bit more digging. I've, I've done quite a bit of reading on it already, but um, there must be more information out there that are uh, prompting teams and leagues to do what they're doing. So that's concerning. And then the other question I have is, so they're going to play in front of an empty building uh, at Nationwide Arena in Columbus tomorrow night. That has to lead to a conversation between the NHL and the NHLPA, doesn't it? Because hockey-related revenues are going to go down if, if teams are playing in front of empty buildings. And I, I know that's small potatoes compared to, to, to the health and safety issues here, but uh, it does make me wonder where those conversations might lead and, and what the ultimate uh, decision is going to be on behalf of both the NHL and the NHLPA when, when they do have those discussions, if, if they haven't had them already. Well, and that's where I kind of side with, with Pat's thought there, Derek, that maybe the whole league uh, or leagues at this point take some time away and just kind of postpone everything because, you know, from that perspective, Columbus loses all that, that revenue from a home game. You know, how do we ask certain teams in the league to, you know, be okay with that and certain teams not to be, right? I understand that, you know, maybe the situation health-wise is different in Columbus than it is in Calgary, but from a business standpoint, and that's, you know, still something, unfortunately, it sounds like, you know, such so secondary to me to think about business in front of someone's health, but a, a lot of teams, that's still a pretty big issue for them when making these sort of decisions and when it comes to these sort of events and canceling them all is the financial side of it is important to a yeah. lot of people too. Yep. Well, that's the I, thing too. And I mean, there's physical health and there's mental health. And I guess in this case, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to pretend to be one, but you, you have to put the physical health, uh, you know, pretty high up on the spectrum of, of things to be concerned about. But mental health is important as well. Like what happens if, uh, you know, someone who works at an arena or a stadium uh, no longer has money to pay the bills or to buy food. I mean, that's something that I think has to be considered and I'm sure is being considered as well. Yeah. It's uh, I don't even know the right word to use. It's, it's scary. It's bizarre. It's, it's unprecedented times. Yeah. yeah it's, I've never seen anything like this. We have never seen anything like this, but 
we and and while we're not going to sit here and spend all our time talking about it, we have to acknowledge it. But we also are here to try and provide a distraction for you and still talk about your hockey team and talk about the NHL, which we will do now. It's Derek Wills, Logan Gordon, and Pat Steinberg along with you on the Daily Flames Roundtable. Johnny Gaudreau, 16 points in 15 games since being moved back on a line with Elias Lindholm and Sean Monahan, or I guess more accurately, guys, since Lindholm was moved back on a line with Gaudreau and Monahan. But uh, is is Lindholm's return to that line for you, Derek, the biggest reason in the production uptick for Gaudreau? I don't think it's the biggest reason for me. I think it's one of many reasons. Uh, obviously, Elias Lindholm is a player because he has such a strong 200-foot game who makes his line mates better. And I think that he makes Sean Monahan and Johnny Gaudreau better because he's so good with the puck, so good without the puck. He can take face-offs on that line. He's responsible defensively. So, you know, if you want to take a chance to try to create offense, you know, he's probably going to have your back and, and have you covered. But for me, it's it's more about Johnny just being more engaged. I can see it in his body language, guys, and I'm sure you can as well. I mean, he just looks like he's having fun playing the game again. He looks like he's fun having just at practice again. And for such a long time, he, he just didn't look like he was enjoying hockey anymore. He'd score a goal and there'd be no reaction. There'd be no emotion. And then you compare that to uh, when he scored that goal in Florida. And I know that it was for his grandpa, John, and that there was more emotion involved there than there would have been maybe for any goal that he scored in his life. But, you know, that was uh, an emotional celebration. And it's, you know, we haven't seen it to that extent since then, but we've seen him show some more emotion. And I just see him smiling more, you know, being around the team every day. And again, watching them practice and, and watching them play. I see Johnny Gaudreau enjoying the game of hockey again. So I think that that, for me, is the single biggest factor. And he's dancing around again, and he's looking like his old self again. So I'm not sure what's changed for him. Maybe something's changed professionally. Maybe something's changed personally. But he, he just looks like he's enjoying himself again. And, and I think it's way easier to be at your best when you're having fun doing what you're doing. Yeah, he, he just look. you're right, Derek. He looks like the Johnny Gaudreau that we saw for so many years, the the guy that we, you know, had fun squirting the purple Gatorade with his line mates every time they scored. And it just that goal he scored against Florida, uh, when we saw that emotion from him and we found out it was, you know, because his grandfather had passed away and how much that that meant to him. I just feel like his focus has been so strong lately. And it's been so good to see him like that because it's this team is just a different team when Johnny's going in the right direction and, there's no reason I think that, you know, that line of Goudreau and Monaghan and Lindholm can't be what they were last year. And I, I totally understand changing things up and wanting to go in different directions and that sort of stuff. But for those three to do what they did last year, and, you know, they're all sort of in that same age range, that same sort of skill level, and you can see why their games work so well together. It's nice to see that it's finally starting to click for them again and they're starting to get back into that rhythm that we know they can have because they've had that success and they've proven they can do it at this level. Last year's playoffs aside, we know this team is pretty good as constructed and that line in of itself could be a big line moving forward for them. I, um, I, I'll be honest, I think a big part of it is getting Lindholm back. And I don't think it's just because Lindholm is back from like a, a, a structural standpoint. It's more just what I think. I, I really believe that 
when Jeff Ward decided to go back to the trios, both with Backlund going back to the middle with Kachuk and Manchapani, and then Lindholm going back to the right side of Monaghan and Gaudreau, I really think that it was a challenge saying, we'll do this, but you guys better answer the bell because this it is crunch time. You guys haven't been doing the job that we need you to do. You want this. We're going to do this for you, but... If this doesn't work, we're going to go back to it and change things up. So here's the challenge. Answer the bell. Let's go. And and I think Michael Backlund has responded extremely well. I think Matthew Kachuk has extre- has responded pretty well. And I think Johnny Gaudreau, from that line standpoint, is the one that has responded most to it, too. I think that it was one of those scenarios where he looked at it and said, okay, I need to be better. I'm being challenged. We're going to get Lindholm back. Let's go do it. And he's done it. And and, and I don't think there's any yeah. doubt that, you know, I, I don't know if he started having fun first and then he started playing better or vice versa, but I'm with you. Like, he just looks, Derek, like a completely different player and that he's enjoying things significantly more. And, and that's, that is huge for this team. Yeah, I think you make a great point, Pat. And for years, coaches have been trying to hand this team – to the leadership group, to, to give this team to itself, in a sense. And, you know, from Bob Hartley to Glenn Gullitson to Bill Peters and now to Jeff Ward, it's been a challenge. And I think this team has had to mature. And I, I don't think you can kind of give the team to itself until it's ready to take on that responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think Jeff Ward has done a great job building relationships with players individually and with this team as a whole. And I think he's finally been able to kind of give this team to itself and say, okay, you want to play with Sean Monaghan and Elias Lindholm? Yeah, okay, we'll put that line back together. Now it's on you guys. And okay, Michael Backlund, you want to move back to center? You want to play between Andrew Mangiapane and Matthew Kachak? Okay. If you don't succeed, it's on you guys. Because we know those two lines can be amongst the best lines in hockey. And I think they're trending in that direction. Uh, In the first half of the season, in my opinion, Elias Lindholm was driving that line with Sean Monaghan and Johnny Gaudreau. I think Johnny Gaudreau is back to being the driver on that line, which is really exciting for me. And I think one of the reasons why, he's working hard with the puck and without the puck. That's a key for me. Because Johnny Gaudreau is most dangerous when he is applying pressure on the back check and pickpocketing guys and turning it back the other way. Because number one, you're getting the job done defensively because if you steal the puck from a guy as he's coming through the neutral zone or even once he's across your up your blue line well now you're you're contributing defensively by taking away a scoring chance or offensive zone time from that player and from that team but then you're turning it back up the ice and you're getting the job done offensively because now you're spending time at the right end of the ice so i think he's been really good with and without the puck and in all three zones and he's moving his feet and he's not pouting and he's not complaining to the referees. I think Johnny Gaudreau's taken a step forward. And when this team was really struggling and when he was really struggling early in the season, we talked about adversity and how it builds character. And, you know, if you can get through it, it's only going to make you stronger. I think we're starting to see that guys. Uh, Final topic on our daily Calgary flames round table. It is Derek Wills. Logan Gordon, and my name is Pat Steinberg. The last time the Flames played was Sunday night, that heartbreaking loss to the Vegas Golden Knights. Now here we are, no games until Thursday, three days between games. Practice time, day off, good thing or bad thing for you, Mr. Wills? I think a little bit of both, to be honest. I think in the big picture, uh, assuming the league continues to play, it's a good thing because 
It's been a grind for quite some time, not only for the Flames, but for all the teams that have been battling for playoff spots or for playoff positioning. I think the playoff race started way earlier this season than it has in any of my first six seasons calling Flames games. It, it just feels like there's been a playoff feel to a lot of games for a long time now. And mentally and physically, that can wear you down. But I think having a three-day break between games, you get an off day on Monday and then a couple of practice days yesterday and today, and, and then they play against the Islanders tomorrow. I think it got, gives guys a chance to, to fill up the, the gas tanks, both mentally and physically, get back to 100% or as close to 100% as you can possibly be at this time of the year, and just get ready for the last 12 games of the season. You're probably going to have to win seven of them to get into the playoffs, eight of them to finish top three in the Pacific Division. So the Flames are going to have to finish strong. But I just think it gives them a chance to, to really get the rest and recovery time that they need and to, to focus on the task at hand. So that would be the positive side for me. The negative side is you want to just kind of continue to play. As a player, you don't want long stretches between games. Mm -hmm. I, I think most players, if you ask them, would tell you they like to play every second day just to kind of keep in the rhythm of playing games. So it's time to take a deep breath, but that can be a good thing and a bad thing. So for me, we'll see. I think it might be difficult for the Flames to kind of hit the ground running tomorrow night against the Islanders, but they have to because in the first three games of this five-game homestand, they've dug themselves into a hole. They can't continue to do that. So we'll see if it's rested or rusted for the Flames early in tomorrow night's game against the Islanders. I look at it as a, as a positive. Um, I think late in a season like this, we're, you very rarely find yourself with time off, you know, to physically rest yourself, let alone a chance to, to practice. And I'll say this about the practice, especially when Derek Forbort and Eric Gustafson joined the team, there really hasn't been a lot of time with those guys to be able to practice and to get onto the nuances of uh, of their new team. I think it's a good thing for a guy like Travis Hamannick to come back into the lineup. I'm not sure if the Flames had played on Tuesday and then Thursday this week, something like that, if that's where the extra game would have come in, that we would have seen Travis, uh, an extra time for him to get reacquainted with uh, his teammates back at practice, I think is a really good thing. And I, I think rest and you know, using the time correctly to really set yourself up for success down the way is important. And Derek's right. It all, you know, can be for naught if they come out tomorrow against New York and are flat and find themselves down to nothing in the first period. But I think that, you know, for a team that knows that this stretch drive is part of the bigger goal for them, that this can be a real advantage for them and, and moving forward as a team. And I, I really put a lot of stock in the practice time for these guys. The coaching staff gets a chance to hammer home some important details at this time of the year for the group going forward because they're just not going to have this time in the next few weeks. It's going to be a grind from now until the end of the season. Uh, take advantage of this time off while you get it because not every team is going to have it. Here's why I think it's it's probably more of a good thing than a bad thing uh, because of the number 24. That's how many days yeah. Calgary's final 12 games are played in. So this is the last time that there's any time to breathe. This is the last time there's any time to truly practice. And this is the last time to really get some you know, downtime to try and heal some of those bumps and bruises because you know that there are plenty of bumps and bruises that we don't even know about right now. So I think, I think that this three-day break is actually a good thing because 
it it goes from here to back into fifth gear immediately because what the next four games are played over six nights with two of them on the road they play five games in in eight nights and three and four on the road like this is a very busy schedule that the Calgary Flames have already all of a sudden found themselves in so I I would suggest that yeah, I, I think that the rhythm is important, but if you can get a break like this, knowing what is in front of you, you, you better make the best of it, and I, I think the Flames have done their best in trying to make the most of it. With that said, and, and I'm glad you mentioned the number 24, Pat, because I think it applies in another way, Travis Havanick. You know, having yep. three days in between games gives you more time to get him ready to potentially play against the Islanders tomorrow night. So I think it's 24 days and uh, number 24 as well, as far as that's concerned. But uh, the other thing about this week was the Flames were able to focus on some things at practice that normally you don't have time to do. And last month, they hardly had any practice time. And I can tell you, and I'm not going to speak for, for managers, coaches, players, staff, but last month took a toll on me. Like, they spent almost the entire month on the road. And there were some long road trips mixed in there. There was a six or yeah, six and a half hour flight. Six and a half hours? Felt like six and a half hours anyway, coming back from that, uh, that final game of that five-game road trip and sunrise back to Calgary. So a lot of games, a lot of travel. Uh, and I think getting a little time to, to recover from the month of February, probably a good thing for this team early in March. But, you know, also they're trying to implement some new players in, into what they do. So I think for individual guys like Derek Forbort and Eric Gustafson, having some more practice time with the team, being able to work on power play and penalty kill, being able to work on things like six on five, because this team has had to pull their goaltender probably far too often this season, but it's good to, to practice it so you know what you're doing when you have to do it. But you know, it's been an important week, and I think more good than bad to have three days between games. The only bad part could be is if they're more rusted as opposed to rested to start tomorrow's yeah. game against the Islanders. So try to make sure that's not the case, and, and then it'll be a big, uh, big positive for this team. The only thing I would add lastly on the as far as the rest and stuff is I don't know how many times throughout the NHL schedule that you can look and say that you've almost had two straight weeks at home uh, for an NHLer to have that kind of time to, you know, even after the Vegas game, you know, you're not traveling back, you're going home, you're sleeping in your own bed, you're getting some good time at home with your family, and you, you know you're not going to have to travel for the next little while. Uh, the whole stretch since they came back from Florida, you know, they had the two days off when they returned there, and now having – three here you know the whole stretch of the last two weeks i think it's probably been a nice reprieve for the guys to get yeah. off of the road and and just settle in somewhere for a little bit yeah all right mr wills we will uh, talk to you tomorrow and see you back down here for game day thank you pal sounds good stay healthy and uh, have a good night everybody Okay, coming up a little bit later on tonight, as per usual, it is the Sports Drive at 5, between 5 and 6 o'clock. We'll hear from Jonathan Davis, our Pacific Division insider. He'll join us at 5 o'clock. Also, Luke Elvey will join us to set up the Players' Championship. All that coming up between 5 and 6 o'clock. The Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. This is Pinder and Steinberg with... Pinder joining us next from Florida on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Starting catcher for the Toronto Blue Jays. So today's weather compared to the winter tour, what's your preference? Oh, man. Today in a heartbeat, man. It's a uh... winter tour, though. I mean, that's that's just like I'm used to that. That's home, you know, kind of, that weather. So it's refreshing, you know, especially when you get this for a lot of the year and get a little bit of that, but this weather right here. 
So, uh, of course, a Wisconsin guy, you were you made the pass through Western Canada this year. What was that like, and did you have a sense of how big the Blue Jays brand was before you, you went on that caravan? Yeah, yeah, it was my second tour. The, the last okay. one was in Halifax, so, um, you know, way out east, and then we go way out west. So, um, no, you, you never really fully realize until you're there and visit those cities, and uh, you, you see how big the expanse to it, you know, and the, the reach and the touch, and you know, to go out there and go see like the Ronald McDonald House and do like go to the Olympics and uh, Challenger Baseball is always is a blast, man. So it's it's an awesome time. I always look forward to it and I look forward to doing many more. Amazing. How's spring been for you? Spring's been good. Yeah, it's been good. A lot of new arms, a lot of new pitchers, uh, veteran guys. So it's getting comfortable with them, getting the reps. That communication's huge. Um, so it's been good, man. Routine based, both both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively, and. Looking to stay consistent in my work throughout the year. So how do you balance that workload? You're trying to learn an almost entirely new rotation, but at the same time, you know, you're trying to hone your craft behind the plate as a hitter as well, working on your own things defensively. I mean, that's a bigger workload than most position players, if yeah. not all, right? Yeah, and I think last year, you know, the experience helped me, right? Helped me figure out what, um, how to approach it and how to do it. And, and um, you know, when the se- it's different in the season, you got to do, you know, you got actual scouting reports that the team are facing, and you got preparation that way. And, and said in spring, it's more you know, preparation on what they're focusing on that day. But um, having that experience last year and, and all the stuff I've learned, I've learned how to maybe, you know, uh, make room for each, for other things. And but everything's important to me. Defense is the biggest thing for me always, and communicating with my pitchers. And then I make I make time for me offensively. It's funny because you, you came up as the reputation was offensive catcher. I think last year you built a lot of value in your defensive game. People realized that that wasn't a deficiency. Uh, the offense wasn't necessarily there, but you've had a really offensive spring from the plate. Putting it all together, clearly that's the special sauce. That's what you're working at, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I was never really a fan of the offensive tag. I mean, I've always defensive always been my, my biggest thing. Um, I've never given myself a routine. I've never given myself. Um, I've always thought I could just hit and, and, and be okay like that, you know, survive like that and just, just do timing stuff. But now I, I got I developed a routine for myself with, 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 in the cage with a tee, with weighted balls, and with all the stuff that I need to do to get my body right mentally and physically to, to, uh, to have the focus and to have the repetition and the consistency. I've done that now, so I've added that, and that's, that's my consistent offensively. You know, defensively, um, looking to build off last year and looking to get better every day with my receiving, my blocking, my setups changed because I got more mobility in my legs, and I feel great. I'm looking to stay consistent. How did the uh, partnership with Reese work last year? It seemed like you guys are a good ten. Yeah, I mean, lefty hitter, righty hitter, try to make it on the same page. So when we're in the game, the pitchers throwing to one unit. So that's what we're looking to build off, and, and uh, you know, we're in the big leagues competing now, and we're ready to ready to roll, ready to be a unit, ready to be a squad. So. So it's, it's exciting. Okay, last one for you. You got five theoretical starters. Give me a pitch that pops for all of them. I mean, reuse, change-ups, legendary. What does that look like from you? Or, or maybe go somewhere else if you want. From each, each one of them? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I guess we can go with reuse, change-up. You know, that's his bread and butter. Um, I guess we're going like bread and butter pitches. Chase Anderson today, is, is he can throw his change-up out of bed. You know, another, another guy that can do that. And uh, Shoemaker, um, probably his sinker. But also a splitter put away. It's nice. A lot of guys got the splitter change up. That's like that's like their their pitch. You know what I mean? So that's um, same thing with Rourke. Rourke can throw his change up both righties and lefties. He's very confident with it. Um, it's got a lot of different pitches. All these guys got all kinds. They got cutters. They got uh, they got five pitches usually. All of them pretty much. So um, who's next? Say Thornton. Thornton. Yeah. Thornton, another guy. Uh, you know, his bread and butter is uh, 
his curveball, I'd say. You know, he's another guy that has five five pitches, likes to use them all, and has uh, has really developed all of them. And um, but if we're going bread and butter, curveball for him. And that that quintet that gets you excited about this year. It's clearly a, a much better start depth wise than this organization was at last year in terms of starters. Yeah, I think it's uh, you know you got four veteran cemented guys, you know, so the stability there and. Um, you know, being being one of the catchers, being able to prep myself for those guys, and really, really, uh, um, really mainly focus on on the pre- preparation going forward with those guys that are cemented, really. So, um, and they're veteran guys. I like to learn from them, talk to them, communicate with them. They have a, they have a game plan, yeah. you know. So, so once I get on board and we're on board with each other, and the trust is there, then we're rolling. Thanks for sharing some time with us. Yeah. Enjoy the great weather, and Thank we you. wish you the best luck this Appreciate season. It. Thank you very much. That's Danny Jansen of the Toronto Blue Jays, your starting catcher for the 2020 season uh, with Ryan Pinder in Dunedin. And we go live to Southwest Florida right now and say hello to Pinder. Uh, that was, uh, first of all, I love baseball. I love the I love the background, uh, getting the opportunity to do baseball play-by-play for a year. Uh, there was nothing better than doing an interview right behind the cage, and you get that background of batting practice. That was outstanding hmm. stuff. Hello, Mr. Pinder. How are you? I'm great, man. It, uh, it was a good day. I was very concerned about uh, the ability to actually get interviews this morning, but uh, it turns out that the – policies put forth only apply to gatherings of three or more people so as long as you're not a scrum you can go right up to a player and you know say hey let's have a little quick chit chat if you got a moment so i thought it turned out really well considering what the opposite could have been which is that there was no access to anything so uh, i guess under the circumstances we're in it was a great day that's good. That is what I like to hear. Uh, that is not so much the case uh, in the NHL right now. So no. uh, that is uh, that is good to hear. And and uh, we heard your chats with Bo Bichette and not Bo Bichette, Dante Bichette and Anthony oh, Alford a little earlier yeah. today. Uh, and and uh, Bo, the younger Bichette, had himself quite the day today. Oh my goodness! I think he he by the time he'd seen four pitches, he had six total bases and had scored two runs. So the first pitch of the ball game from an Orioles pitcher. Uh, landed in the off the batter's eye at dead center field. Uh, so he went deep the first play of the game, and then his second at-bat, it was the third pitch, and he uh, ripped the stand-up double into the corner. Like, this guy is so good. And it's funny because uh, I had a chance to chat with him really quickly off mic about his dad being around, and we chatted with Dante. So it was an interesting little segue of you know the the guys that you yacked with turned out to be the stars of the show jansen had an amazing day at the plate as well which is kind of neat uh but i mean this guy's a star he's going to be a superstar and i think a year ago we were saying you know it's going to be vlad guerrero jr that's going to be the face of this franchise and i i don't know that it it can be anyone but dante bichette if things keep going the way that it's looking i think he's going to be the star and it's not that vlad won't be a great player but Bichette's got it all. He's, this, you know, never mind the, the even just the baseball stuff. Like, there's star power. This guy's gonna be a star. What? Uh, so, and 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 I'm with you. And so, where where does that leave Vlad then? Like, where does that leave him in terms of organizational importance? Well, that's that's a good question, and I I don't know because I don't think we know what the player is. Like, the ceiling is phenomenally high, clearly with the, the skills and the pedigree, but. There's also been the questions about conditioning and, you know, what is his home life like, you know, as compared to Bichette. So I don't think it would ever have been on the table, but I think if you consider what Nate Pearson would mean to this organization and you consider what Bichette 
does and will mean to this organization. Vlad might be number three on the importance chart, and that kind of puts him in play if you were looking to alter a roster, augment it. And I'm not saying they're going to move him, but I'm thinking there's no way they'd even consider that with Pearson and Bichette. And I think at this point they probably have to consider it with Vlad, especially if they figure out he's not going to be a superstar before everyone else. Yeah. What uh, what's happening in uh, what's happening in center field with this team? It's interesting. So they've got three outfielders. None of them are particularly good at center. Gritchick can do it, but prefers to play the corner. Hernandez is like you know play the circus music when he's in, in, trying to field a ball out there, but when he gets hot, he can rake. And Gurriel Jr. just moved to the outfield last year after playing in the infield two seasons ago. So there's not a, a really solid defender there. But Jonathan Davis had a day today, and he is not, as we talked about yesterday, the sexy name or a top prospect. But this is a guy they can put in center field. And if he can just, you know, be an, a, a mediocre hitter, put him nine in your lineup, that's, that's going to be a guy that can save you a lot of runs with, with his glove. And there's no one else that can do that. You're going to have to go way down the organization a couple of years away before you're going to find someone that can play center field. And we always talk about in hockey, building your rosters down the middle, centermen, you know, your defense is important, your goaltender. Well, in baseball, it's the middle infield, center field, catcher and pitching. Like, the middle of the diamond is important, too. And center field, they, they might run with a, a defense-first guy that hits at the bottom of the lineup because he is the most important uh, or the, the best and most capable defender that they have available to them. And this is a veteran pitching squad that, you know, while they know how to get around there's not not all of them miss a lot of bats you're going to need to catch the ball to get some outs so uh, i wouldn't be surprised if, if davis comes north of the club at all and i think in fact he's got a chance to play a ton in center if they can figure out hernandez or Gurriel jr in a platoon at sort of like first dh with telez and shaw there's a lot of parts there there's a lot of lefty righty stuff going on but i i think you could find a way to get playing time for davis if, if you need his defense that badly Pinder's with us from J Spring Training in Dunedin, Florida. Um, it was it sounds like it was a pretty good day just all around. Perfect day down there for you, for the WestJet winners. Seems like it was uh, it, things seemed to work out well for you all down, down there. It was great. So we had uh, our WestJet contest winners from coast to coast, Vancouver all the way across to Halifax. And today was the big day. Yesterday, got in, got their bearings, got to explore Dunedin a bit. But today was game day, and the, the team couldn't have put on a better show with, uh, I believe it was 11-1 to 1 after like two innings. It was <laughs> So all the fireworks you could expect over like a series of baseball in like three innings, uh, WestJet and the Jays put us up right behind home plate, and then uh, a lot of our contest winners went out to the new WestJet flight deck at TD Ballpark, which is really cool, modeled after the one at the Rogers Centre in Toronto. So they just had a blast. They got decked out with a bunch of swag, and it's you know th this is a, a much better option than shoveling your sidewalk today in Winnipeg. I would suggest. I mean, how did they uh, how did they get from Winnipeg to Florida? How'd that work? We all met together in Toronto and then took a direct flight from Toronto to Tampa, which so is one of many from, places how, past the WestJet flies nonstop to Florida, Fort Lauderdale, and Orlando, Winnipeg, of course, from Calgary alone. How'd they get from Winnipeg to Toronto then? Uh, well, they would have flown there. They would have. We all uh, met up and jumped the, the flight. Guy, the the guy that is the the perpetrator well, from, of the Winnipeg does, from Fargo. They got to bust the, the, the Fargo and then fly to Toronto. The Clearly, guy that is the perpetrator of the Winnipeg doesn't have an airport joke. Missed it on two occasions. <laughs> I, 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 I lobbed it to you 
twice and you whiffed both uh, times. Um, that's like okay. Anthony Alford is the with him doing that one. <laughs> oh, wow. Anthony Alford smack talk. Uh, just observations on what has been another crazy day, Rye, when it comes to the sporting world and COVID-19. Like, this, this ain't stopping. This is bonkers. You know, the one for me that's scary is we just found out that a defender for Juventus, an Italian soccer club, has it. That, in my opinion, could be the first domino that essentially shuts down the sport of soccer for the summer. And that sounds extremely, like, crazy and conspiracy theory-esque, but you start moving the clock backwards. Okay, who did he play against? Who's in that locker room? Where have they, you know what teams have they played? It's, it's outside of league play. Did they play a Champions League match? All of a sudden, everyone now has this theoretical what ten days to two weeks where they could be carrying this thing. Like that's scary. And then all of a sudden, you're thinking, okay, well, you could shut down Champions League, you could shut down the Italian league, but the ramifications continue. What about Euro? Is that up in the air? I mean, this is very uncharted territory. Um, maybe everything's okay and and this is fine, but we just. Every day, the, the news is getting a little more um, grave in terms of how sporting leagues around the world are operating their businesses. We've seen most of the professional hockey leagues in Europe now say, that's it, we're done, or at least, you know, for now, we are stopping. So that's, that's, that's spooky. Uh, you hope that uh, in North America, we can have a different pattern and it can be different trajectories with how the the virus has moved but we just don't know we said it yesterday totally uncharted territory and yeah that's that's where we remain today well like just think of the hundreds of millions of dollars that the ncaa is giving up by holding <laughs> the entire ncaa division one men's and women's tournaments without fans like, I, like think about and, and i'm not i'm not trying to be flippant i'm not trying to be oh poor ncaa not it's just that shows you to what extent these different organizations are willing to go to here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, big time. Um, you know, it's really going to hurt those amateur athletes that don't get paid. I know that. Uh, it does sort of beg for the punchline, doesn't it? But, yeah, that's that's a billion-dollar machine that's saying we're going to not let people give us their money. That's that's a serious declaration, isn't it? Yep. It's, uh, this is uh... – Crazy times we're living in right now. Well, uh, enjoy the rest of your day in Florida, my friend. We will hook up with you again tomorrow on a Flames game day. But uh, nice work. Enjoyed your stuff from Dante Bichette, uh, Danny Jansen, and Anthony Alford. Good stuff today. Yeah, appreciate it. We'll talk tomorrow. Thanks. It is a massive night when it comes to playoff implications in the NHL. That's why this final segment, you almost have to go through it and mm -hmm. take a look at what's happening. That's exactly what we're doing here. There are some that some games that don't matter, but there are some that are <coughs> pretty darn away. important. But you don't cough and spread hysteria, Logan. Come on. It was up. supposed to be a joke cop, but I realized joke coughing's not funny anymore. I apologize. Uh, Connor Hellebuck, Mike Smith is your goaltending matchup tonight in Edmonton Jets and Oilers. Edmonton in a little bit of a better spot playoff-wise than Winnipeg is. The Jets are currently tied with Vancouver and Nashville at 78 points but have played one more game. Winnipeg's won three in a row, but they are fighting for their playoff lives. The Oilers at 70 games will play their 71st tonight. They're four up on Calgary, five up on the Jets, sitting second in the Pacific Division. Another extremely important game in the Western Conference tonight in Edmonton. Yeah, I guess if you're Edmonton, you're really looking at this one as a chance to uh, 
put some really good distance between you and, and Calgary for second and third place in the Pacific and kind of give yourself some good breathing room overall as far as any of the wild card teams really catching you. And, you know, Winnipeg, you mentioned, still in that dogfight of the wild card in the West, you know, with Minnesota just a point back of them. And, yes, they're currently tied with Nashville and Vancouver, but they've played one more game than them. Then if you're, you know, it's weird because they say that about Winnipeg, they're fighting with four other teams, and then I sit there and say, okay, well, if they win, they're two points back at Dallas for third in the division. So plenty to play for. It's, you know, less and less. I mean, it's more both sides of the coin for a team like Winnipeg, right? You need to keep pace with everybody else, but at the same point, hard not to look forward and say, wow, we're two points out of a division spot if we win this one tonight. You've got the St. Louis Blues and Colorado Avalanche both in action tonight as they continue to fight tooth and nail for top spot in the Central Division. Both teams uh, have lost their last game. St. Louis sitting at 92, Colorado sitting at 90. Avalanche remain with one fewer game played. You've got St. Louis on the road in Anaheim tonight, Colorado at home to the desperate New York Rangers. I don't know how this Central Division is going to shake shake out because they're essentially on even footing as it stands right now Colorado and St. Louis and both teams have been red hot over the last little bit yeah it's funny because we, we talked about their games that they both lost as you know ones that you would expect them to have Colorado losing to LA and then the uh, Florida Panthers picked up a huge two points against the Blues when former hitman Chris Drager got the start there and shut down St. Louis they're going to be in a battle for a toe-to-toe until the end of the the regular season, I think. But who knows? Colorado running into some more injury problems, uh, finding out that Nathan McKinnon's going to be out for One a two week weeks, or two. Right? Yeah. So you're you're cautious if you're Colorado there. You're pretty firm in a playoff spot, so you're not going to rush McKinnon back. First would be nice in the division, but it's not a necessity for them either. Uh, we know that it'll be Jake Allen likely starting in net for St. Louis tonight. Colorado's going to go with friends. So the New York Rangers are still very much in this playoff mix as well. They enter action tonight. Three back of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Columbus Idol. New York has a game in hand. They'll use it tonight. That's your NHL story this evening. Uh, goodbye, Logan. Have yourself a wonderful rest of your Wednesday. Please stay healthy. I'll try. The Sportsnet 960 Old School Playoff Pool is back. It's happening April 6th at the Palace. It's all brought to you by our good friends at Wild Rose Brewery, brewing quality craft beer in Calgary that fuels the hardworking Albertan. Wild Rose Brewery, branded with character. If you want to be part of our Old School Playoff Pool, go over to sportsnet.ca slash 960. Enter your team of eight, and don't forget all the proceeds going to Kid Sport. Calgary. How are the Oilers getting points and what's the latest on Mark Stone? That and a whole lot more with our Pacific Division insider Jonathan Davis joins us next on Pinder and Steinberg moving into the Sports Drive at 5 on Sportsnet 960. The fan. We are underway on the Sports Drive at 5. How about the latest from NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski? This is... uh from Woj, it's another Woj bomb, but not the ones we're used to. ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reports this consensus among owners on Board of Governors call with NBA League office was either continue season with no fans in arenas or have NBA take a hiatus for a period of time. NBA is expected to have a decision as soon as tomorrow on next steps. So 
there's another piece of news to keep an eye on as obviously we wait to see what's going to happen with the NHL as well. But for the time being, we're still talking hockey and lots to get to in the Pacific Division. It's time to chat with our Pacific Division insider, Jonathan Davis, as we go inside hockey. And Jonathan Davis joins us now from the two-man advantage on NHL Network Radio. And, J.D., I guess we can start with the news in San Jose where they have opted to. Well, they don't really have a choice. They're uh, going to be closing home games to the public for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and, look, this seems to be a trend. I mean, we you know we saw it in Columbus. And, uh, you know, look, it's better safe than sorry. It's going to be very uh, – it's going to be weird. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. It's just – it's going to be weird. We're going to see it in the NCAA tournament. Um, but, you know, we've got a crisis right now, and so let's manage it. And uh, hopefully, you know, it's something that uh, that could be curbed in the next uh, couple of weeks or, or hopefully, you know, month or so. Yep, and uh, that's that's why I think a lot of these measures are be putting are are being put in place to try and make it so we can be in a better spot in the next in the not so distant future, as opposed to this really getting uh, a little out of control. So that is the news from San Jose, and I thought we'd start there because I started out with that news and the, the the potential of what could happen in the NBA, but let's get into some actual on-ice stuff, Mr. Davis, and we'll start in Edmonton. Sounds like the news is good on McDavid, right? Yeah, I mean, he was out, he was at the skate today, so that that's a, that's a good sign, and, you know, look, I, I think, you know, for Edmonton, really, the, you know, the, the story of late, I mean, they, they've been winning games, but they're winning ugly, and, and I guess at the end of the day, it's banking two points is the most important thing there, Pat, but I mean, they've been grossly outplayed, I think, in, in these last, you know, couple of games, really since the Nashville game. That following night, they went into Dallas, and, you know, Miko Koskinen stood on his head. This, and the Oilers are being outshot 28-9, to and they rallied for an overtime victory. And, you know, look, most recently you saw what happened against Vegas. I mean, I think the shot totals were something like 20-3 or 23-3 to in the second period of that game. And, again, it was Miko Koskinen in, in, in that one holding the floor, at least being able to get – the Oilers to another overtime, and, and they came up short there. But uh, I think they've been outshot by 69 shots in their last four games combined. And so something needs to change. And while there's been a lot of excitement about the fact that, you know, Kyler Yamamoto has been a real spark plug for Leon Dreisaitl, you know, Dave Tippett still, still seems to be trying to find the right combination with Connor McDavid again. What and and do we know like that? That's kind of the big question for tonight as to who's going to play with Connor, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, they 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 had Zach Cassian and uh, and James Neal, I believe, in in in, uh, in the last game that Connor played in. So, you know, Andre Athanasiu shows that he can keep up pace wise with Connor, but I just don't know if you know he hasn't shown that he's the guy that that can finish with Connor. And Tyler Ennis can be a guy that. Uh, you know, may be able to play there for a game or two, but uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem right now that uh, that's that's someone they want to stick with. And they had Josh, Josh Archibald in there for a game. He did score a goal in that Nashville game. Uh, but they're still trying to figure out what's the best guys to flank him right now. Uh, so I think that that has to be a bit of a concern. And, you know, and we still see Dave Tippett at times put Connor and Leon together uh, at points in the game. Now, 
they, they certainly are getting goaltending of late. Mike Smith is going to get the start against the Winnipeg Jets. He, uh, he's been good against the Jets, and he's been good of late. Well, he has, and he really, you know, he stole their last game uh, against Winnipeg. I mean, that was a game that, that Winnipeg totally dominated that Saturday night hockey night in Canada game. Uh, they dominated the, the Oilers five-on-five five that night, and if it wasn't for, I think, two power play goals by number 29, uh, Edmonton never would have found a way uh, to come out with a victory, and they scored, I think, a goal with about five minutes to go in that game, a real crushing defeat for the Jets, but uh, yeah, I mean, Mike Smith, I think it's only two regulation losses since the calendar flipped to 2020. It's exactly what the Oilers have needed in the goaltending department. No question about that. Let's move to Vancouver, where they've got a very important couple of games. They play back-to-back tomorrow and Friday, Arizona and Colorado. Yeah, and look, it was, it was good news last night with the return of Brock Besser, and I think uh, I think it caught some of us off guard. I mean, I think we kind of expected that Besser was going to be out for another couple of weeks, may not even return until the beginning of the playoffs, but that was a boost for this team. But I think, you know, ultimately, Pat, the issue in Vancouver is goaltending. I mean, Patrick Demko has been just okay since Jacob Markstrom went down. Now, uh, Jacob Markstrom has reportedly been skating, although it's kind of like double-secret probation. I was speaking to Dan Murphy today, uh, texting with him, and he just said, you know, look, we've heard the reports. He goes, I haven't seen him skate. I've heard he skated. Um, so I don't think that it's, it's something that's anytime soon. It's not like he's practicing with the team, but at least it's a good sign that he's on the ice. But, yeah, they've got to find – they've got to be able to figure out a way right now to either outscore teams or – Thatcher Demko just really has to be better than he's been. Uh, certainly one person who has been good since arriving in Vancouver is Tyler Toffoli. You're very familiar with him, with his time in L.A., but uh, tell us about Toffoli since getting to Vancouver. Well, you know, this is – it's been a great run uh, for Toffoli. And, I, you know, it's what, it's 10 points uh, since he's been there. He's got five goals, and – uh, you know, this is a guy that has shown in the past that he can play a top six role. And when he plays with elite players and the problem, you know, that he had in Los Angeles is that, you know, really it wasn't until the last couple of weeks before the deadline that he got a steady dose of playing with LA's best center and Anze Kopitar. But now with, with playing with Pedersen and JT Miller, it's been a very dominant line. And, and Tyler's been a guy that, you know, the interesting part is is that they've actually used him a little more in front of the net, and he's not being able to take advantage of his shot as much, but he's still finding a way to be a lethal weapon for them, and uh, it, it has been a great fit. And, and what it's done is it's balanced out their lines, and you know his former teammate and now current teammate Tanner Pearson has really worked in well on that second line. Uh, so you know the Canucks definitely have that double threat up front. Uh, but again, you know they, they've got Arizona tomorrow, as you said. They've got a banged-up Colorado team. I mean, that Colorado team, that, that looks like an AHL roster with all the injuries that they have. Jonathan Davis is with us. He is our Pacific Division insider from NHL Network Radio. Let's move to Arizona. Tell us about the injury to Connor Garland and how, uh, how bad that might be for the Coyotes. Uh, it's, it's brutal. I mean, that was an injury that he suffered against uh, the Flames last week. Uh, he was sent back to Arizona. They've been saying it's week to week. And you're talking about a guy who 
you know, who leads this team with 22 goals and a team, you know, that's, and that in itself is, is rather surprising that he's their lead lead, their team leader. Uh, but this is a team that their best players and Rick Tockett has addressed the issue countless times. Their best players have not been their best players. And it's not just the guys up front, you know, and Phil Kessel and, and Taylor Hall or Derek Stepan, but it's also been our Oliver Ekman Larson. It's been a real struggle. And I think an adjustment for him to take on that added responsibility of being captain uh, for this team and taking over from Shane Doan. Uh, their best players just haven't been their best. Well, and one thing that you've been talking about all along with the Coyotes is they just, for you, have never been strong enough down the middle to truly be a Pacific Division threat here. They haven't. And, you know, you know they have Derek Stefan, who's got 10 goals, and, and I think it's 27 points. And, you know, Carl Soderberg uh, is now playing as a number one center on this team. Nick Schmaltz has been moved to the wing along with Derek Stefan, who was supposed to be you know, one of their top two centers. And, you know, the other issue for Arizona, to me, and, and I don't know it, what you felt when you got to see them recently against Calgary, they're just not a very uh, big team. They can, get, they can be pushed around. And, and that's just something for me, you know, I, I saw them, for, you know, live, I, I remember in Vegas, you know, around Christmas time, and just how Vegas pushed that team around. I, I just think that there's issues with this roster, and it's something that, you know, that John Chica is going to have to address uh, in the off season, uh, but I think it's going to be another year of not making the playoffs for, for Arizona. I just, I just don't think there's enough weapons on this team, and and the very fact that Phil Kessel has just five even strength goals, and here we are, you know, a month from the season ending, is absolutely shocking. Yeah. What? Uh, let's move to Vegas. What do we have for injury updates there? What do we know about some of their walking wounded? Well, Mark Stone's still out. Chandler Stevenson um, could be back uh, for their game tomorrow, so that's those are those are are, are two there. Um, and they're, I'm trying to remember if there was a third that I'm, I'm missing right now. I'm trying to think about uh, what, what's going. on. I think those were the, were the two Alex Tuck, right? For them. Oh, and Alex Tuck, he did not make the trip for them. But look, Stone is is the big injury, but they've been able to to survive it. And uh, you know, I, I think that. You know, what, what's really helped Vegas, there are a couple of things. I mean, Shea Theodore has, has just had, you know, a breakout season for him. I mean, he's got 45 points, which is most ever in the brief Golden Knights history. But I think also the addition, Pat, of Robin Leonard. I mean, you know, tomorrow against Minnesota, he's going to get the start. It's eight games that uh, – that will be the eighth game that uh, the Golden Knights will have played since the trade. And that will be four for Robin Leonard. And it's not because Marc-Andre Fleury – hasn't played well. It's just so they can rest Marc-Andre Fleury and take the pressure off. But Robin Leonard has been nothing short of brilliant in his three starts. And one other guy who's been really good is Shea Theodore. Yeah, I mean, what it's done to that second pairing, um, and I think the other guy that's also really sick about or just nauseated about having to talk about him is his partner, Alec Martinez, uh, who's been raving about Theodore. And um, he has just – it's been – it's been what you know what Anaheim had hoped for when they when they first signed him uh, and drafted him, uh, but Vegas has been the beneficiary of it this year. And having a guy like Alec Martinez also alongside him, uh, you know, allows him to be that offensive threat that this team so desperately needs. Jonathan Davis is with us from the 
two-man advantage on NHL Network Radio. He joins us every Wednesday. He's our Pacific Division insider as we spin you around the Pacific Division as to what's happening right now. Let's go to L.A. Lots happening with the Kings, including Mr. Davis, a six-game win streak. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's been pretty remarkable. And it's not six cheapies, Pat. I mean, you know, when I took a look at the, at the you know, went back and looked at the six teams they've beaten, I mean, as, as the standings sit today, four uh, are, are teams that are currently in the playoffs. I believe when they beat Minnesota on the weekend that they were a playoff team. So, you know, let, let's say five of the six teams that they faced are in the playoffs uh, or, or, you know, are, are destined or are currently, you know, in a playoff. We're in a playoff position. So it, it's been a really good run. And I think that, you know, this is the process that Todd McClellan, who, you know, what a great hire it was by Rob Blake. And the right guy to help turn things around in this organization and, and he said, don't measure the season, this season on wins and losses. You know, he's trying to help turn this team around. And what we've seen, Pat, is really a team that is winning by will over skill. Uh, and they're, they've changed to, you know, a 1-3-1 uh, defensive system. And, uh, you know, look, they understand what their shortcomings are. You know, when you look at this team, it's not like when, you know, you, can, you take a look at the, any, any of the top 25 scores, Pat, around the league. Anytime one of those guys hits the ice, there's a really good chance that they're going to score. Mm-hmm. You know, in fairness, I mean, Ante Kopitar is an elite center in this league, but he's not that goal-scoring threat that I think, you know, that many other guys are. And so this is a team that has to work really hard, play the system, and right now they're playing it really well, and they're getting superb goaltending. Whether it's Cal Peterson, who's going to start tonight, or Jonathan Quick, whose numbers are, are off the charts since the calendar flipped to 2020, I mean, in this six-game win streak, they've only given up seven goals. Yeah. It's impressive. And and also a piece of exciting news today as well in the form of their most recent highest draft pick, Alex Turcotte, as he has signed his entry-level deal. What does that mean for the Kings? Well, you know, they're gonna he's going to report to the Ontario Reign, their AHL affiliate. He'll be at practice uh, tomorrow. Uh, so that'll be, you know, the first sign of, of seeing, you know, where he's at. Um, you know, look, I, I wouldn't expect Alex Turcotte to be in a Kings uniform. May, you know, the likelihood for next year, I, I'm not, I'm not so sure, Pat. I think that he's likely still a year away. But you know, look, who knows? Uh, but this is just part of, you know, of the, the right now. This team is, this organization is building on hope. And Gabe Velarde is one, you know, is one of their centers of the future. I think a guy that's more of a number two, and maybe I don't. I think Alex Turcott is probably a number two center as well. But you know, this is something another guy that they so desperately need uh, to pan out, and uh, so it, it'll be exciting just to get a glimpse of, of what's ahead because this organization is truly, you know, I think is realistically at least two years away from being, you know, a legitimate playoff contender. And finally, let's uh, finish it off in the other SoCal spot, and that is in Anaheim. And, and this is, they're playing St. Louis tonight, and this was not originally on the schedule. It was moved there because of what happened last month and the scary incident with uh, with Jay Bomeister. So this is the rescheduled game that they were supposed to play, I guess, going all the way back until, uh, that was January, right? Yeah, it was. And a really nice touch that uh, the Anaheim Ducks are doing tonight uh, in honor of Jay Bomeister, all merchandise or 19% of all merchandise sales 
uh, and the Ducks' charitable portion of their 50-50 draw are going to the UCI uh, Health Medical Center uh, here in Southern California. Uh, so just something that, you know, the, the Samuelis who own the Ducks are, uh, are just an amazing group of people who, who donate so much to the community. They're very big donators uh, in the Southern California area, especially to the Irvine area, big donors to, to the university there as well as UCLA. So a really nice touch. And for a Ducks team right now that, you know, they're, they're playing pretty well. I mean, they're, they're, they're definitely making life tough for the opponents. And, you know, just ask teams like Pittsburgh and, and Toronto, uh, two of uh, four teams recently that came through SoCal. You know, the last four teams that have played all three California teams, they've only come away with a combined three wins. And final thought on the Ducks, some some good play of late from Ricard Raquel and Jacob Silverberg, both guys playing some pretty good hockey. Yeah, they are, and it's really, you know, it's, I guess, a bit of a silver lining. I mean, they were split up earlier in the year, but the Swedes have, have uh, been reunited, and it's been really good. Uh, but I think, you know, I don't think there was really a lot of concern about Silverberg or Raquel. I think still the bigger issue is, they were hoping for more out of whether it be Troy Terry, Sam Steele, or Max Jones. And I think it's a combined 18 goals for the three of those guys this year. So it's been a hard learning curve for, for the youngsters. Um, so we'll see where it goes next year. One of the things that, you know, uh, for the King Senators game tonight, it wouldn't be a bad idea for LA's win streak to snap because an Ottawa win would put the Kings in 30th overall instead of 29th. Right, which would uh, be good for them, <laughs> even even with a six game but, win streak. Yeah. Right, you know, so it's, it wouldn't be it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt too bad if they lost, just to try to help that draft. Exactly, good stuff, JD. Uh, stay, uh, stay safe, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Thank you, pal. All right, you as well. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's going to be a lot of money thrown around this weekend at the Players' Championship. We'll give you a little bit of a preview coming up next. On top of that, lots more Flames talk before we get to the top of the hour. It's the Sports Drive at 5 on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The continued concern of spreading of the coronavirus and COVID-19 has led to sweeping measures in the sporting world. If you're just joining us this afternoon, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get all of them. I tried writing them down. I'm like, this is not even worth it. Um, But essentially, here's what we can tell you. We can tell you that the NCAA tournament, basketball tournament, March Madness, uh, for both the men and the women, are it's going to go forward, but it is going to go forward completely without fans in the building. So no spectators for the NCAA Division One tournaments. That has been confirmed by the NCAA. Both the Columbus Blue Jackets and San Jose Sharks have come out today and confirmed that they will be playing games without spectators, at least for the time being, starting with Columbus's game tomorrow against the Pittsburgh Penguins until further notice. That has been confirmed. Remember, Governor of Ohio came out, said, we're recommending this. Blue Jackets said, 
were going to go forward, and I think there was some conversation between the Blue Jackets and the uh, the governor of Ohio where they said, yep, we're, you're going to be doing this. So they're going to be playing without fans. And San Jose, we already knew Santa Clara County had the ban on public gatherings of more than 1,000 people, so the Sharks will be playing their next number of games without fans in the building. Those are just some of the different ways that the sporting world has been affected here in the last, geez, even four or five hours. This is a minute-by-minute minute thing. It's Pat Steinberg along with you as we continue on the Sports Drive at 5. Very happy to welcome in our weekly golf analyst, Luke Alvey, ahead of the biggest purse of the year. The Players' Championship is starting this weekend. Luke, appreciate this. How are you? Pat, I'm fantastic, mate. I've always loved listening in to you and uh, the team when you're doing all the Calgary Flames uh, pre-post-game stuff. It's been fascinating, but good to talk a little golf with you. I'm very happy to do it as well, and uh, let's let's get right into it because the Players' Championship is something we hear about every year, and, you know, it's not one of the four majors, but it sure does pay like one, in fact, more so than <laughs> one. Is, is, is that the main reason why this thing has such a, a significant place on the annual calendar? Well, it's like Ron Burgundy, isn't it? It's kind of a big deal to players um, because it's owned by the PGA Tour and that the PGA Tour doesn't own any of the four majors – is their flagship event. And because of the huge uh, sponsorship deal they've done with FedEx over the last 10 years, and now the new TV deal that they're just done with NBC, CBS, and the Golf Channel, and ESPN Plus digitally, they have so much money in the coffers that it's time to start divvying it up amongst their players. And this week they're playing for $15 million US dollars. First prize, $2.7 million, which is about half a million more than the richest purse in any of the U.S. majors. So uh, this is a big deal, a lot of money at stake, and um, a lot of prestige, too, for winning this tournament. Yeah, it's, uh, it is a, a big-time tournament, and that's, that's the distinction. That's uh, In terms of prestige and significance, it's the one owned by the PGA, which is why, mm. there's, uh, why it's so important. So who are the type of guys who historically win here? What type of golfer historically has success at Sawgrass? Uh, Pat, the punters aren't going to like this, but it is probably the hardest event to pick each year. The field's as strong as any tournament we get each and every year on the tour, including majors. And as like last year, Rory McIlroy won it. Yes, the best player in the game right now, one of the best players in the game back then. But a near 50-year-old Jim Furyk coming back from injury finished runner-up. And if you've looked back through the history of this tournament, We've had Craig Perks, a virtual unknown from New Zealand, just just spring to prominence, win it, and then fall away into oblivion. Um, the likes of Tim Clark, who's not a long hitter from South Africa, you know, upstage bigger names in 2010, including Lee Westwood to win. But then you get your Tigers, you get your Rory's, Jason Days, um, you know, big stars win this tournament as well. And right now, given the kind of players that are playing really well, I'd be surprised if a long shot won this week simply because the talent at the top is so good and they're ready to fire. And that's why I'm going for world number four, Justin Thomas. At 16-1, to 1, I think he's terrific value amongst the favourites. Uh, he's top five there a couple of times. He's coming in with two wins already this season and a couple of other top tens. Yes, I know it was a missed cut um, in between, but there's just a lot of form that's on his side. There's one thing that people should know about this tournament, though, uh, Pat, is that you cannot overpower the golf course. More often than not, on PGA Tour events or any major championship, length is a blessing. If you've hit it a mile, you're going to dominate. But this week, 
about the 280-yard uh, length of tee shot is perfect for this golf course. So that brings in the likes of Webb Simpson, Matt Kuchar, past champions as well, people that don't hit the ball as far. So for your John Rams or your Rory McIlroy's or your Justin Thomases, you'll get some mid-sized uh, hitters doing very well this week. All right, so who are Luke Elvey's picks for the Players' Championship this weekend? Who uh, who should we be honing in on if we're going over to DraftKings or if we're playing some fantasy? Uh, Pat, this is what I want, a big disclaimer with anything I say from here on in. Um, the two guys that I picked last week missed the cut dramatically and withdrew with a bad back, and that was Jason Day. So just take my tips with a grain of salt. As I said, there's probably 100 people this week that could genuinely win. But I am going for Justin Thomas to win the tournament outright. I believe he and Webb Simpson will come down to the wire. Webb Simpson's playing, paying around 30 to 1, which is huge. And if people want a bit of value, and, and this is the best thing about betting on golf, is there's value out there. And you don't have to back these people to win, but back them to contend. I've got Graham McDowell at 150 to 1, would be excellent for top 10 value. He's playing really nicely, loves the golf course. Um, Emiliano Grillo, the uh, Argentinians at 200 to 1. Now, he last three years, he's been there or thereabouts each year at this course, So, and he's playing nicely as well. And then there's a handful of um, lesser-known Americans, Harris English, Joel Darman and Max Homer all paying 125 to 1 to win and all of them have been featuring in the finish like top 10s in the last three to four weeks and really strong form plus good golfers uh, good playing right now so look if you want a bit of value it's there on the board but if you want to pick the winner I'd be pumping for one of the favorites like Justin Thomas. I like it. I like it a lot. I like some of those uh, long shots, though. Not even super long shots, but a couple that might give you a little good value if you put a little extra money down on the side. Great stuff, Luke. Pleasure to chat with you. I'm a huge fan uh, every time you're chatting with Pinder, so it's uh, it's great to chat with you today, my friend. Enjoy the uh, Players' Championship this weekend in Florida. Appreciate it, my friend. Thank you, mate, and enjoy a tournament where there will be a crowd still at it, given what's going on in the world right now. Um, there's a very likely... Uh, possibility that the Masters could be contested without a patron at Augusta National. Could you fathom that? Wow, that's that's what we're hearing right now, hey? That's that's the talk. It's not uh, set in stone, but there's a very real chance. Obviously, we know about the NCAA basketball tournament, and there's not going to be a fan in the stands at any of those. So, um, you know, the, the bar's been set right now for everything that's going on in the world. And if that happens at the Masters, I just, you know, this is one of the premier events globally every year. And, you know, imagine if it was the year that Tiger was to break through like he did last year and there was not one person there to congratulate him or have the ovation as they're walking up up 18. It, It really is, as the Beatles sung many moons ago, strange days indeed. It really is. It is hard to wrap your head around what is happening right now. Uh, thanks for that information, Luke. Thanks for uh, thanks for this today. That was great. Have yourself a wonderful rest of your day, my friend. Likewise, mate, and go Flames in the run-up to the uh, the playoffs. Thanks, Luke. That's Luke Elvey, our golf analyst, joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The same secret recipe since 1975 for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344 and find them at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Strange days indeed. It is as uh, bizarre a time as I can remember in sports in the world, period. But, I mean, you know, this is a sports radio station. You come here to get away from 
all the stuff that happens in your everyday life. You get away from tragedy. You get away from, um, you know, what's happening in your personal life, anything, you know, divorce or what, like what you get away from this stuff. You come to us to, to hear about who's playing well. You, you come to us to, to hear about Pinder and argue, Pinder and I argue about who should be on the second pairing or, or who should be starting in net. Like, you don't come here to hear about coronavirus. I don't know anything about the coronavirus. I All I know is that leagues are shutting down and games are being played in front of no fans. Luke just told us that the Masters might go forward without patrons. This is... This is bonkers stuff, and it is hard to wrap your head around what we're seeing right now. So we'll try to continue to be the distraction that you're used to. At the same time, we also have to report the news as it comes. We'll focus the conversation back on the Calgary Flames around the corner as lots of positivity surrounding a guy who wears number 13 right now. That's next on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary Flames back in action tomorrow night for a 7 o'clock face-off against the New York Islanders. It's Pat Steinberg along with you from the Scotiabank Saddledome and our Better Business Bureau Hot Stove Lounge. One of the biggest developments of late surrounding this Calgary Flames team is the play of Johnny Gaudreau. I believe that the switch of bringing Elias Lindholm back on a line with Sean Monaghan and Gaudreau has really kick-started something for Gaudreau, and not just because Lindholm is back. So February 8th is when the Flames juggled up their lines. Feb 8 against Vancouver is when they moved Backlund back to center with Kachuk and Manjapani is when they moved Lindholm away from center back to the right with Gaudreau and Monaghan. And ever since that game, we've just over a month since that time, Flames have played 15 times. Gaudreau's got 16 points. I believe that not just because Lindholm was moved there, but because the entire core group of this team was challenged by the coaching staff, that's why I think we're seeing a much better Johnny Gaudreau and a much more engaged Johnny Gaudreau. I know that uh, that there were conversations had. I mean, we've been told this. We know that the coaching staff had individual meetings with players. You know, Michael Backlund has told us that he had a chat with Jeff Ward and said, I want to be better in the way that I know I can be better and impact this team more is by moving back to center. And Jeff Ward said, we need you to be better. We're going to do this. But if we're going to move you back to where you want to go, you better deliver. And I think the message was identical when it comes to Johnny Gaudreau okay you want Elias Lindholm back on your right side that much you better deliver we'll do it but you better deliver this better be the thing that ramps your game up and I I do think that he has responded and I give him credit for responding here's Johnny Gaudreau who spoke about his play of late this morning you know our line uh, you know we're building a lot of chemistry here it's nice to get back playing with Lindy me money have some you know, a friendly face, uh, you know, played with him a lot last year. So, um, but personally, I think, uh, you know, we're doing a good job in the D zone, um, being smart, uh, you know, not being a liability on the ice and, you know, playing a lot more in the offensive zone, which is making us play a lot more in the offensive zone. And um, I think we're getting, you know, I was always getting looks, but, uh, you know, they're, you know, I think we're getting one or two extra looks each game from us not being in the D zone as much, and, uh, you know, they're leading to some goals. Johnny Gaudreau needs to be this team's 
most dynamic forward for them to be a contender. And I'm not saying that Kachuk isn't good or Monaghan isn't good or Lindholm isn't important. All those types of things are true. But for this team to be elite or where they want to be as a, a true contender come playoff time, they need Johnny Gaudreau to be dynamic. They need Johnny Gaudreau to be at his best, and they need him to be the most explosive offensive player on the team. And we're starting to see more of that in the last month or so, and that is a crucial development for the Calgary Flames. Uh, I'm guessing, we don't know for sure, but I'm guessing it'll be Cam Talbot getting the start in net for the Flames tomorrow as he's won three consecutive games and just seems like he is really settling into a groove. The thing that I really like about Talbot, and I'm not – trying to make this as a criticism towards David Riddick because that's not what it's meant to be at all. But one of the big attributes that Talbot possesses is his ability to just be even keel. Short memory. Doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, and he can just bring the same approach regardless of the situation, time of the game, opponent, whatever the case may be. And Cam Talbot talked about that even keel approach today. For me, I just I never try to get too high and too low. Like you said, even keel is, is the best place to be because, I mean, there's so much emotion in the game that you can't let it get the best of you a lot of the time. So, um, you know, after at the end of the last game, you can see that there's some frustration and stuff like that. But, I mean, it's an emotional game, and that stuff's going to happen. I mean, guys, are they care. I think that shows that they care. So, um, for me, I just I try not to let my emotions, um, you know, dictate my play and, and just go out there and try to uh, – you know, be as, as positive and even as I possibly can every day. It's working. Guy is playing some outstanding hockey. 927 is the save percentage since December 1st for Cam Talbot. He's playing some really good hockey. I would suggest that he's going to get the start tomorrow when the Flames take on the New York Islanders. That is a 5 o'clock face-off. Sorry. Uh, 7 o'clock face-off right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, we're on the air at 6 o'clock with your Calgary Flames warm-up. And, you know, I, I hate putting this disclaimer in, but that's if indeed the game gets played as normal. This is a this COVID-19 thing is a developing minute-by-minute minute situation. I don't think it's crazy that if in the next day's we find out that the NHL is being put on hold. In fact, at this point, I'll be pretty surprised if they don't put the NHL on hold. I don't know for how long. I don't know what that looks like. But the NBA is seriously considering it right now, which means the NHL is seriously considering it right now. So I don't know when that announcement would come. I don't know if that announcement is going to be made before the end of the night or before tomorrow's game against the Islanders. For the time being, we're assuming Calgary, New York tomorrow at 7 o'clock. But are you kidding me? It's more than 24 hours from now. With the amount of news that is breaking every five minutes right now, who knows what this thing's going to look like by the time we get to puck drop tomorrow. Uh, so just keep that in the back of your head. But... As of right now, 6 o'clock warm-up, 7 o'clock face-off right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. And between 6 and 7 o'clock, we will present another iconic moment for you. I will give you a moment from the past, ask you a trivia question about it, and if you get that trivia question right and you're the first one through at 960-960, you'll be entered into our grand prize draw, which is a trip for two to Las Vegas for the NHL Awards and includes airfare and accommodation plus $600 spending cash. The iconic moment between 6 and 7 o'clock tomorrow brought to you by iconic. 
iconic electric and controls, promoting a culture of quality since 2008. Visit iconicec.ca. For Logan Gordon and our outstanding producer, Riley Pollock, my name is Pat Steinberg. Be safe out there. Be healthy out there. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Uh, Stephen Brunt is coming up next with an hour-long sit-down. Is a very uh, this is um, this is a pretty cool thing that uh, Stephen Brunt is starting to do right now. So he's got an hour-long sit-down coming up, and uh, very curious. It's Ross Atkins in conversation with Stephen Brunt coming your way around the corner. That's as we continue on Sportsnet 960, the fan.